Take it away, Semisonic. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to what is certainly an unconventional episode of the podcast. Sorry for the delay, but better late than ever, right? Um, yeah, so I've had a pretty unconventional past few weeks, month or so, so I guess you could say that art reflects life in this situation. So I think the first thing I need to talk about, or should talk about anyway, is the closing of my podcast Discord. Yeah, in case you didn't know, I did end up closing down my own Discord, which which was a crappy feeling. 
it wasn't something I enjoyed by any means or something I was happy about, but I ended up feeling like it needed to happen. So I guess I'll go over what exactly happened and then maybe give a little bit of background that might help some people who are still confused, annoyed, angry, I don't know, <laughs> all three. Basically, some morning this week, I can't remember what morning, I pinged everyone in the channel. And my channel was about, I think, 120 people, maybe more, maybe 150, somewhere in there anyway. And I pinged everyone and said that basically I've been super burned out moderating the channel. It's been going on. My burnout's been for a while now. It wasn't like that day I just suddenly was like, bam, close the channel on a whim. It's been on my mind for a long time. And that, you know, I really appreciated all the awesome times we had in the channel, which is, which is really cool. I'll, I'll talk more about that in a little bit, but, and so, yeah, I was going to be closing the channel within an hour or so. I ended up closing it, I would say more like three hours later, two and a half to three hours later. It wasn't actually an hour later, but still, I know that's like super short notice and it was literally out of nowhere for a lot of people. So I'm sure a lot of people were confused. And I knew when I was closing the channel that, it was likely some dude would, you know, some dude in like a different time zone from me would wake up, log onto his computer, open his phone and be like, okay, where'd Mark's channel go? What the hell? Was I banned? No, you weren't banned. I closed down the channel. So I guess I should talk about why. And I guess talk about why it was such a sudden decision on my part. So like I said, I've been thinking about closing my channel for a long time, for a very long time. But I also loved being in my channel. So it wasn't like, I wanted to. It was more like I felt like it's hard to explain exactly, but it was just a lot of work and it demanded a lot of my attention and time that was taking up more than I actually had to give, to be honest. And it was just getting to a point where I just felt like I could not sustain running the channel anymore. It was becoming just a lot on top of all the other crap I do, right? So... And I felt like of all the things that I do, as much as I enjoy the Discord, I felt like it was like disproportionately taking up a, a large amount of my energy and time compared to like the podcast or whatever else I'm doing. So I felt like the thing is, is like the Discord was also probably the most fun and gratifying aspect of the podcast besides releasing the episodes. So I wasn't in a big, like, I wasn't happy about having to close it down by any means. So I guess maybe I should talk a little bit more about why I was feeling burned out. If that, I don't know. I don't know if you guys care or not. It's not like a big deal. It's not like any juicy story there. Other than I just felt like a level of responsibility that's probably unusual for most people, especially like running a Discord channel. I mean, I know a lot of content creators who, yeah, there was a YouTuber that I'm a fan of that ha he mentions in his videos, oh, I have a Discord, come chat with me on the Discord or whatever. I was like, all right. So I joined his Discord and I immediately go in there with like, oh, I want to ask the guy a question. And the people in his Discord is like, the guy doesn't actually come in this Discord at all. Like, we just all hang out in here. Honestly, like, annoyed me. I was like, okay, why would you set up a Discord channel for your fans and then not interact with them? And so one of my priorities was always when I was running the Discord was whenever someone new joined, I would welcome them and I would ask if they had any questions or wanted to talk to me because I assumed like that wasn't always the case why people joined the channel. But a lot of the times people would join the channel because they wanted to ask me something or talk to me about something. So 
Like, I didn't want to be so Hollywood that people would join my Discord and then... Because I, I just feel like that's rude, to be honest. It's I think it's rude to set up this Discord channel, promise all this shit, and then when you join it, just be, you know, end up with a group of other fans that you could just interact with otherwise anyway, so... That was one reason why people asked, why didn't you just appoint someone else to run the Discord and, like, leave the Discord? Part that it, That's not a bad idea, and I kind of did explore that a little bit. It's not like I didn't. A part of me just felt compelled or, like, felt the need to watch over my Discord. I don't think it's fair to say it was an addiction because I wasn't, like, gratified by it. It was more of, like, a compulsion. I worried about it, but I wasn't, like, getting a high off it. It was more like, I'd sit around and, you know, I'd be doing something and be like, oh crap, I haven't checked the Discord in like three hours. No, check it, okay. Okay, and then there's there'd be questions or people want to interact with me, or maybe they wouldn't. I mean, depends on the situation, so I'd think, okay. So I just felt like I needed to continually check it to, you know, which probably wasn't as necessary as I was making it, but it just became, it just became something I was doing. And I did try to like taper that off as, further on in the Discord it went. But ironically, when I was trying to do that, my Discord was gaining more and more popularity to where there's more and more fans joining it and stuff, so, and more and more moderation that needed to be done at the end there. So I was trying to back off, but at the same time, the channel was actually growing a lot more and demanding more of me. And yeah, so it, it just became a lot to, to handle. I'm pointing out like why I quit the channel or why I shut it down, but I don't want to give you guys the impression I didn't enjoy the channel because that's not true. Like, I definitely enjoyed running the Discord and I don't regret a second the time I put into it and all the people I met and all the interaction I got with the fans and, you know, contributors and like fellow shmuppers and stuff. I think it was like an awesome experience that I definitely don't regret. I think a, a good analogy would be if you threw a house party but you just threw this house party for a year continuously, like nonstop. That's kind of how it was, where it was an awesome experience, but it's just, you you can't keep it going. It's like that episode of How I Met Your Mother, where he tries to throw three parties in the same weekend. <laughs> and and by, unlike in the third party, everyone's like, dude, we just want to go home. That's kind of how I was starting to feel at the end there, where I was just feeling really burned out. I'm probably repeating myself. And as far as like closing the channel so quickly, that's my bad. I feel, I feel bad about that, but I also feel like I don't know if I could have done it any other way. It was kind of a feeling of where I didn't want to close the channel. I wasn't wanting to do it. And so it was kind of feeling like I was breaking up with someone or like breaking up with my fans in a weird way or breaking up with the discords. Like, I like you, but I don't think this is going to work out. But it feels weird to be like, yeah, I want to break up with you in a month from now. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of hang out, but just know in a month we're breaking up. I don't know if it works like that. And so that's, that's how I kind of feel about my Discord too. It's like, I felt like it would have been weird if I would have been like, okay, just so you know, I'm shutting this bitch down in a, in a week. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I probably didn't give it enough time, but that's just how I ended up doing it. I don't know if I had more to say. I mean, yeah. I guess I should, before move on to the next topics, I do want to kind of reminisce a little bit though, because I think maybe if I explained what my Discord was like and kind of its evolution, it, it would make a lot more sense. Because I think my Discord was really unique. I mean, maybe everyone thinks that about their Discords, but 
I do think that sincerely, my Discord had a pretty unique identity, not only in shmups, but like even compared to other podcast discords that I'd seen and stuff where, okay, so let's go through the history here just for the, just for the good times, right? When I first started the discord, its sole purpose was to call guests and talk to them. It was like Mark's call service, right? That was the purpose of the discord. So a lot of my early members of the discord were my guests or people who were going to be my guests or people who were like giving me ideas for the episodes and I'd like bounce ideas for the episodes off them and stuff. So that's how the discord actually started because I didn't have any fans. I was like, I don't have many fans now, but like back then I had like zero fans. It was just Mark and his three guests or whatever. So that's how it actually started where I needed some way to contact people on the internet and Discord's a good way to do that. So that's how it started. And then as the podcast, my show is kind of unique compared to other podcasts too, where I have a rotating group of guests. I don't just, it's not just me and a co-host. So I end up talking to a lot of different people in the community. And so I do the episode with them and then they just hang out in the channel, right? It's like, okay, well, the channel's here. So if you want to hang out, why not? And so those early days of the podcast, Discord was like me and seven people, maybe. It was really small. And a lot of it was me just bouncing ideas off them for episodes or asking them a lot of stuff about the shmup scene and stuff, because I'm still pretty new to it. But then I was like, really naive to what went on. So that's a lot of what the early Discord days were like. And then there was kind of a period where I was gaining a little more popularity. I was getting like 70 views per episode or so. And my Discord was 20 people, maybe 15, 20 people. And those days were pretty cool. A lot of it turned out to be just me posting random ideas and like random thoughts in the channel and stuff. To be honest, I kind of treated my Discord a little bit like a like a daily diary of my podcast kind of thing, like a blog, basically, I think is a good, not a diary, like dear diary today, Patty was so mean to me, she didn't want to go out with me. No, it was like, just stuff to do with the podcast, mostly. Oh, I hope I can get this guest. I wonder what this guest would do. That's what a lot of the early discord days were, or those kind of like earlyish discord days were like, where it was like a blog, basically, of me trying to figure out what the hell I was doing with the podcast. And then there was a period, I kind of like to think of this as the, what, like the honeymoon period of the Discord, where I got, I was getting around 120 listens per episode, I would say. And I had about like 70 or 80 people in the Discord for a long time. It was like the same group of people for a really long time. And it became a really cool like, chill hangout spot where I feel like we, well, I'm not like a super uptight person and like, it's funny to think of myself as a moderator too anyway because I'm such I'm such an odd fit for like an authoritative type role because you know <laughs> that's really not my personality so anyway like a super chill hangout spot for a really long time and a lot of that's reflected in the episodes of the podcast where you'll especially you know I think the teenish episodes of the podcast I, I refer to what we've been talking about in the discord quite a bit and it it became like the the council of the podcast where if I ever had a question, I could ask my Discord and four or five people in there who are experts on whatever subject and had a lot of good discussions and stuff in there. It was a really cool place. And then I would say for the past, let's think here, for the past like four months, the Discord kind of like started really popping off. It became 
relatively speaking, for how popular my show is, it became like insanely popular compared to my show. <laughs> because when you look, when I looked at other podcasts, okay, I don't want to name other podcasts because it might make them look bad or whatever. Like even though I like these podcasts, but there would be some podcasts who would get you know an insane amount of listeners, five k listeners, but their discords would be pretty pretty inactive. Most people really wouldn't interact with there, and it's mostly. Like bots making announcements and schedules and shit like that where my discord i had a listener i have like a listener base of 200 250 people and like i said my discord at the end there was like 150 people like i almost had almost felt like i had more discord members than listeners yeah so it was like a super active place and it was i really enjoyed it it was really awesome it just came to a point where, like I said, if you're throwing a big-ass house party for, like, four months, even though most of the people in Discord were extremely chill, I'd say, like, 98% of my Discord members were, like, extremely chill, extremely easy to get along with, it's still, like, just that amount of activities, you know, some lamps are going to get broken, some people, there's going to be fights here and there, or, like, disputes here and there, or whatever, and, you know, so, even now... I miss the Discord, and I miss running it. It's not like I don't, but I also feel like I, I just couldn't have sustained it. It was going to happen one way or another, so probably could have handled it better, you know, as far as giving people a little more notice. But like I said, it, I didn't view the Discord like a lot of people use their Discords like it's some kind of business. Your Facebook account, your Twitter account, your Discord account. Like, I didn't think of it that way. I probably should have said, okay, I'm actually just going to shut this bitch down in a week, but I don't know. It, it felt weird to me doing that because then I'd have like a week-long discussion with the Discord. They'd be like, okay, why are you, why are you shutting the, this thing down? Or like, oh, what's up? It's like, oh, I'm just feeling burned out. Oh, why don't you do this instead? Well, because of this, you know, and maybe that's what I should have done, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little new to all this, so if I upset you guys, I'm sorry. Anyway, I don't know what else I can really say. Shoutouts to everyone who was a member of the Discord. It was a blast. Super fun experience. I did get a lot of positive feedback from people in there. They really enjoyed it. And that was another part of shutting that thing down that, that hurt. It's like, oh, I feel, I feel guilty doing this because so many people enjoy the Discord. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I could ever recapture that lightning in a bottle twice, to be honest. Because the the growth of it was so natural and people just, it'd literally be one or two people at a time joining the channel. Besides the bot invasion, <laughs> there was an incident where I was getting invaded by bots at some point. But besides the bot invasion, it'd be just one or two people joining the channel gradually. So it could be, there's like a process when we got a new person. It's like, oh, we got a new person. Well, let's talk to them. Let's see why they listen. What? Caused them to join the podcast or join the Discord. Oh, they like the podcast. What episode did they like? What what types of topics do they want to hear about? Like, I didn't happen for everyone because some people didn't want to talk. But for the people who would join, you know, there'd be people who join, and a lot of people in the Discord would spend like a day talking to the new person who joined, which I think is really cool. I don't think that's something that's never happened to me too much. I think it might have happened in the in one of the shmup Discords I joined, but joining the super metroid discord or joining like some other discords you're just like a name it's like oh you're just some dude but yeah i think my discord had a, a much more close-knit community feeling than a lot of the other ones like a lot of other podcast discords and stuff so yeah i'm sorry my dudes sorry i shut it down like that
I know y'all miss it, so I don't know. But moving forward, we'll see what happens. I have no idea. So that was the first thing I want to talk about. I had no idea I'd talk about it that long. Hopefully it made some sense. So let's get to the topic at hand. Okay, so this episode is going to be oddly structured because it's basically a combination of two episode ideas that I had that I realized by themselves, there's not enough material for an episode by themselves. So I smashed them together. The first topic I want to talk about is the recent or somewhat recent greatest shmups of all times list that came out this year. So I've actually been aware of this list for a long time, like the previous iterations, and I was very much looking forward to talking about it. And it is here, so let's talk about it. So I've actually gone through and screenshotted not just this year's list, but some previous year's lists too to talk about. And back when I had a Discord, RIP, I did talk to my Discord members about what they thought of this list and its purpose and all this kind of stuff. And there was a lot of really interesting different views on it. So I'll give you my background with it. When I first started playing shmups, like one of the first things I did was look up what are the greatest shmups of all time. And I ran into a lot of articles that, or like lists from various places. Some of them were pretty funny. Uh, I wish I still had some of them because I would talk about them. Yeah, some of them are pretty funny because they're obviously just a lot of opinion of, and like a lot of bias. Honestly, some of their, their picks were, I don't know, <laughs> were just, oh, I played this when I was a kid. So it's, it's the greatest shmup of all time or whatever. When really, no, the game kind of sucks. So I was reading through those lists and I actually think those lists were negative for the greater good of the community because if you list some lame-ass shmup as one of the greatest of all time, and someone thinks that, and then they play it, and they're like, this game's whack, they're going to think the entire genre is whack. Luckily for me, I kept looking, and I found the forum's greatest list of all time, or greatest shmups of all time list. And guess what? Full of really good shmups. So the list was like a big deal for me, because I learned about a lot of these shmups through this list. Like, I learned about Dodonpachi. Well, I learned about Donopachi from the Prometheus Guide, but I learned about DOJ, though, from this list. I learned about Katsui. I learned about Battle Garega. Like, I, those, I was familiar with those names, but I didn't know how good they were. I didn't know if people played them. In my head, Raiden 2 was maybe the greatest shmup of all time, just because I was so familiar with it before learning more about the scene. So a lot of people in the Discord, anyway, weren't. They're like, whatever, it's just... Some list we do every year, it's not a big deal. So maybe I ha- I I put more thought and passion into this idea than a lot of other people, because I think it's a really important idea, because yes, it's a popularity contest, and yes, it's extremely subjective. I don't deny either of those facts. Those are true. But it's literally the only list you'll find with some amount of credibility as far as what are the greatest shmups of all time for people who are, you know, wanting to get into the genre. And they want to say, okay, what are some great shmups? Here's the list. So I think it's actually a lot more beneficial towards the community than a lot of people realize. So let's look at this year's list, okay? Because last year's list, I thought it was a really good list. The 2016 list, I thought it was extremely solid. And so this year's list, I was really curious to see what the changes would be. Because in my mind, last year's list was perfect. What, what else are we going to do? 
But of course the genre is so massive and there's so many great games, a lot of them I didn't even know about at the time, so let's look at this year's list. So let's get started with the top of the list, and coming in at number one is Ketsui, which I thought was actually very surprising. I did not expect to see Ketsui at number one on the list, and here's why. Obviously, Ketsui is an amazing game, and as you'll notice as we go back through these, especially through the past six years, there's basically four shmups that are like the big four that are basically the top four on the list. It's DOJ, Garega, Ketsui, and Futari. Those are the top four. And personally, from my experience playing them and learning about them, I'm less familiar with Futari, so I'm less sure about that one as far as what I can say about it. But from what I've learned about these four games, they're all extremely, extremely high quality to the point where which one is better just might come down to personal preference, to be honest. Maybe that's, I think that's kind of fair to say anyway. And so Ketsui, from what I can tell looking through these past lists, and maybe I missed one, I don't believe Ketsui has actually ever been number one. It's been, I think it's been number two a few times. Well, we'll see as we go back. But yeah, I don't think it's ever been number one. And I was surprised what caused it to be number one this year. There was the M2 Ketsui port. Was that it? Maybe that's the, the factor that pushed it up to number one. I could see why Ketsui deserves to be number one. Like I said last year, I just feel like the last year's list, to me, something about it I really agreed with. So I always kind of thought like DOJ might have the number one spot secure, but no, Ketsui comes in and is now number one. I think, so maybe what I should do as well is, so I'm going to talk about, basically, because this list is so subjective and there's so many great shmups, there's nothing definitive about this. It's not like these are actually definitively, objectively the best. Subjectively, I'm going to try and comment on why the community voted for them to be where they are, basically. Like, what qualities about these games put them on this list compared to your favorite shmup UN Squadron or something? Like, UN Squadron is a great game, but... First thing you have to say about these top four, and especially like maybe even the top ten, well the top four at least, is that they get all the fundamentals down to a science. The fundamentals of these games rock solid. So 
I mean, that's important. You got to get there. So they have great visual design. I think that's important. Uh, some people don't. Um, some people say, you know, visuals aren't that important. I feel like they are just because you got to look at the screen a long time. And plus, shmups are an extremely visual medium, even more than like other games, because you're not relying on sound. You're not relying on context. You are literally watching bullets. So like, I think the visuals, the way the game depicts visual information is extremely important. And that good design, it doesn't have to be like high production, but good design is extremely important. It needs to clearly convey what the hell's happening gameplay wise. So of course, Ketsui does that extremely well. It's got a lot of style. It's got everything. So, but that's not enough to be number one. What else is there? Well, there's definitely the, the great soundtrack. I actually feel soundtrack is extremely important in shmups because you got to listen to these songs a shitload. You got to listen to them over and over and over and over. And as someone who plays Dodonpachi, I can tell you stages that reuse songs and like one bad song in a soundtrack really brings down the quality of your experience. So Ketsui's top notch with the, the visuals, then the audio. So then you can get into the gameplay and controls. Well, I have a PGM of Ketsui now, which I'll cover more in an upcoming episode, but I did a lag test. Ketsui on PGM, on PCB, however you want to say it, is only one frame of input lag. It's the lowest, it's lowest possible. You hit that button, one frame later, your bullet's coming out. So, yeah, that's really awesome. <laughs> it controls extremely well, no input lag problems. Also, the way the controls are done is, I think, really intuitive. The lock-on mechanic works really well. It's pretty ambitious, if you think about it, for the time, like the way it works. And yeah, you, there's really not a lot of quirks with that, with the controls. There's some really well-done shmups that I feel like the controls hinder them a little bit. Rolling Gunner is a good example. And if you don't agree with me, that's fine. But I feel like the way that game is designed, the the fact that the, the rolling gun is so loosey-goosey and stuff, you're spending a lot of time and energy fighting, pointing your gun rather than fighting your enemies, especially in the later stages. You don't run into any of that kind of thing with Ketsui's lock-on system. It's really reliable. And then I think the scoring system is what puts it so high up on the list because I feel like for a shmup to be great, to separate it from like a good shmup, the scoring system needs to work really well because there's just going to come a point where playing for survival is fun, but it's not the total experience. And what's interesting about Ketsui's scoring system from my experience, I'm not an expert Ketsui player, but I have played a good amount of it is that I feel like the scoring system really complements how Ketsui should be played, or like what... This is kind of hard to explain. Probably cut out my rambling here. The Ketsui scoring system is not completely rigid. It's, it allows for more creativity than I think some of the other game scoring systems, where you're sort of chaining in Ketsui, but you're not at the same time, because of the way the timer works and the point blanking everything, so that you can come up with I guess, more creative routes. World record and stuff, you're probably going to have to just follow the optimal route. But, I mean, that's how every shmup is with world records that I'm aware of. But with Ketsui, even if you want, like, a, a decent score in it, you can be a little more creative with the way you do the routes cause just because the way the scoring system works. I think another thing why, another reason why Ketsui is popular is because the scoring and the survival go, pr they complement each other really well, where 
if you're point blanking and doing like these nice routes to get the, the high chips, it's most likely also helping you survive really well. They go hand in hand pretty well. Obviously not perfectly. I'm sure there's going to be times where to get really juicy scoring routes, you're going to have to play more risky than you would if you were just playing strictly for survival. But it's not like Dodonpachi, as far as I'm aware. Like in Dodonpachi, playing for survival and playing for score are two different games. I know because created a survival route through Dodonpachi. I'm getting so close to that too all. And it's completely different than chaining it because the way scoring in that game works, which I should, I guess, elaborate on later, is that scoring and survival are always opposed to each other. They're like two opposite goals. But in Ketsui, I feel like they blend together a little better. Basically, if you play really well and are at least somewhat conscious of scoring, your clear should have somewhat decent scores. Whereas in Dodonpachi, if you're me and you want to just have really consistent survival, you murder your scores. I'm getting to stage 2-7, and if I played for score, I could have gotten that same score in like stage 3 or something, stage 3 or 4. That's how much scoring and survival do not go together in that game. But in Ketsui, I don't think, I don't think that's the case. So that's another nice aspect of Ketsui. So, oh yeah, and one last thing about Ketsui 2 that separates it from the other ones too is its simplicity. Uh, Ketsui is extremely simple. The scoring system is very simple to understand, of course. The better you get, the more complicated things get as far as little tricks and things like that. But just on a fundamental level, the scoring system is very clear. And then you also have to remember the ships is very simple. There's just two ships, no subtypes. That's all you got. There's no C, A, B, D, F, K, strong, you know, and all those different styles and ships and stuff. Very simple, very straightforward. People who want to just play for survival have a really fun experience. I think Ketsui is the, the shmup to do that. Because the way its survival is more upfront than the other games, you can be a little more reactionary when you play Ketsui, I feel. As far as I've gotten, I haven't gotten to the Aura Loop yet, so maybe that changes in the Aura Loop. In DDP, for instance, when you hit the second loop in DDP, if you're off your route, you're dead. You need to either bomb or you're dead, because I've had a little, like, I think it was stage 2-5, I pulled off the most dumb, ridiculous dodges when I was out of out of place. That should have been awesome, but the game just continues to crush you till you die if you're off route. It doesn't care how good you are at dodging, it will kill you. Or I feel like Ketsui is not quite like that. It's It allows for more freestyle type gameplay. I mean, I'm not saying you can just do whatever you want, but I'm saying compared to what I have experienced compared to DDP, it's a little more free in that way. I think that's another reason for its popularity. Number two on the list is Battle Garega. Well, of course, Battle Garega was number two on last year's list. Battle Garega is such a hard game to talk about because there's so much shit to say about this game. Yes, it deserves to be number two, of course. Uh, the top four, like I said, in any order, I think they deserve it. It was number two last year. I probably should check back. We'll check back here and see how it stacks up in the other years, too. The one thing about Battle Greg I guess you could start off with is its uniqueness, of course. There's really no other shmup quite like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's super unique, and it's got a lot going for it as far as... I'm sorry if I'm a little bit inarticulate here. I do know about these games, but it's actually hard to just riff on them like this. So Battle Grega, number two on the list. Like Ketsui, it's got great visual design. It's got great soundtrack. 
perhaps better than Ketsui's. I think they're the same composer. Both great soundtracks. Um, I don't know which one's better, to be honest. I, I like them both quite a bit. It does have an issue with input lag that I do have to point out. And, you know, I think it's been long discussed whether the input lag is intentional, whether it's not intentional, whether it should be there, whether it shouldn't be there. For those who follow me somewhat closely or maybe have heard about me go on about this in other podcast episodes and stuff, I'm not a fan of input lag. I feel it should not be there. I feel like it is kind of a blemish on the game a little bit. It's not like a big deal. It's not like the game's not worth playing because of it, but I feel like it is a little bit of a blemish compared to the other games. I do wish it had better input lag. There's not solid public information on what the input lag is on the PCB. I would test that, but unfortunately I do not own a Battlegrega PCB, and maybe in the future I will actually get one to test that and test some other stuff out on it, but right now I don't have one, so to the Grega owners out there, I guess, I would say it'd be cool if you tested it to tell us what kind of input lag is actually on the PCB, but for now we don't know. Probably around two and a half to three frames is what I've heard. The information seems to vary, so it would be nice to have like a solid bit of information on that. So what about Battle Gorega? Well, one thing about Battle Gorega that definitely puts it up on the list is its influence on other shmups. Like, so many shmups are influenced by Battle Gorega because, like I said, it's so unique. It's so different from the other shmups out there, and you can really get lost in it. I think the interesting thing about Battle Gorega that separates it from cave games, and I'm a cave player, so this is a the perspective of a cave player, is that Battle Gorega kind of like a slow burner where... Most people that I've met who play the game initially, they think like, oh, it's pretty good, but they're not like super into it. Battlegrega like grows on you and then it keeps growing on you. It's like those albums you listen to at first that you're like, oh, it's kind of strange. It's all right, but it's kind of strange. But then as you keep listening to it and you start to appreciate its elements and its uniqueness, then it becomes one of your favorites. That's how I think of Battlegrega anyway. It's There's so many unique aspects of the game and it seems like, of course, you have to talk about, compared to cave games, Battle Gorega is much more freeform because there's a lot more randomness and a lot less predictability in the game, which is, I think that's cool. I don't think every shmup should be like that, but I think it's good for some shmups to be like that, and I think Battle Gorega is a good example of that. Of course, you got to talk about the rank system. I think it's famous, infamous, depending on people's opinion of it. I think the rank system is actually pretty cool. I like it. It makes you play the game a little differently than other shmups, obviously. A lot of your decisions do come down to how, how they influence the rank or how they don't influence the rank. to kind of learn the game a little bit you got to spend some time you got to romance it you know take it on a few dates it's not it's not an easy (laughs) 
it's not an easy one to get over, so. But once you get to know Grega, it's an awesome game and definitely deserves to be number two. So here we go. Number three on the list, DOJ. I thought would be number one for sure, just because talking with my Discord members, rest in peace, prior to this list coming out, a lot of them were playing DOJ a lot. Like, DOJ was hot this year. And then uh, Juju Kenobi, for example, got his first two wall on DOJ. Violet Hat Purple is currently playing DOJ. I think Iconoclast picked DOJ back up. It just seems like everyone is playing DOJ, so why is it number three? I don't know, but it is. Like I said, I don't care what order the games are on the list as far as the top ones because they all deserve it and they all it's all it's all pretty taste based as far as what goes where. I was just surprised because it's been so hot and so popular. I was sure everyone would put it on number one on the list. I put number one on my list, so yep, DOJ number three. Yeah, and it's specifically Black Label because there's been previous years where I noticed Black Label and White Label were merged and then. The more recent years, they're separated out, which which makes sense. Honestly, you could argue there are valid arguments both ways. I think there's valid arguments for combining them into one game, the DOJ experience type thing. I could see why they could be merged. DOJ, if white label's separated, it's got to be on here somewhere. So it's like you're taking up a spot for white label that maybe you don't need to. But yeah, they are separated. And of the two versions, I feel black label is better than white label. Black Label doesn't have the some of the issues that White Label has. The the big one being the way the the loop system works in White Label, where in loop two of White Label, it takes away all your extends and you got to re-earn them th- through no missing the stages. It's just nuts. I feel like Cave's kind of trolling you in that in that version, being like, "Okay, just give us the money because you're not going to beat this game otherwise." But in Black Label, it's much more clearable because you don't lose all your extends and plays more like how you'd expect it to as far as that goes. In Black Label 2, I believe there's certain chains you can... Like, I think the the 1-3 chain is much more viable in Black Label. White Label, it's like some task-level stuff trying to hit that chain, so... But White Label is really popular, too. So that's the funny thing, is, like, both versions are played... At least right now, a lot of people are playing White Label and not Black Label, so... Both versions are awesome. My suggestion would be to actually merge them, but they don't have to. That's just my suggestion. That way, DOJ isn't taking up two spots when we know both versions got to be on the list. So, Up number four, Futari. Okay, so I asked around about Futari and tried to get to know the game a little better before talking about it on this list because of all the cave games, the series I'm least familiar with are the Mushi games. Like, There's no particular reason why. I like them, but for I, for some reason I just haven't played them very much. So for me, I was like, oh, damn, I don't even know what to think about Futari because I've only played it a very little amount and haven't really dug into it. But I end up talking about uh, to SMC about it, and he has the... I believe he has the community record. Yeah, he does. He has the, com- the community record for the game, so at least for his ship type. And so he definitely knows his shit about this game. And really, the way the scoring system works in Futari is really unique. I don't know if I want to break it down exactly, because if you're interested in checking out Futari as far as the scoring system works, yeah, there's better ways to do that than me. Basically, the cool things about Futari that set it apart from other cave games and other games on this list is that Futari has difficulty selects, even in on the PCB, so that means it doesn't have two loops. It's a one-loop game, which, as someone who's playing through DDP with two loops, I can understand the appeal of that shit, because... 
playing a two loop game sometimes is freaking brutal. So that's a nice, I think that, that makes it a little more accessible. The scoring in the loop scale better than in Mushi. I remember that. There's some issues with the scoring scaling, like where I believe the, the hardest difficulty of Mushi, you don't score as well as the second hardest difficulty. So Futari's better about that. The scoring system is, from what I understand, more similar to Ketsui than it is to Dodonpachi, where you're building up this counter through, I don't want to get into it because I'm going to say all the kinds of different wrong information, but it's not chaining based like the original Mushi. It's more similar to Ketsui anyway. So yeah, I wish I had more to say about Futari. I mean, it obviously looks beautiful. I think one thing I could also mention is that Mushi and Futari, both of them, seem to be a really good gateway from to- for Toho players to get into uh, cave games. In the Shmup Spotlight I did with Juju Kenobi, he mentioned that Mushi-sama was his gateway to like traditional shmups, I guess. I don't know what you'd say, but non-Toho shmups, because he started off as Toho player. And I've seen that quite a bit. The way Mushi works and the way Futari works appeal to Toho players. So, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, also keep an eye out for the demonstration of that Gus is doing a Futari at Stunfest this year. That's going to be really cool. From what I understand, Futari does have some RNG elements into it that SMC describes as pretty brutal. So it's going to be really interesting to see this game played in a live setting, that's for sure. And of course, again, killer soundtrack, killer visuals. I know a lot of people I talk to who aren't like super, super into shmups, but have a more casual interest in them. They always talk about how Futari and the original Mushi brought them in both visually and through the sound design. So so that's important because if you're bringing in new fans, that's definitely a good thing. I wish I had more to say about Futari. Jamers mentioned that another great thing about the game is Port has all kinds of really awesome modes that are all worthwhile, basically, where, you know, that's pretty rare with shmup ports. Usually there's like one or two good modes and then the other ones are crap. Like X mode and DOJ plus on the 360. <laughs> as silly as that mode is, it's pretty crappy. Then up next, Crimson Clover. Now I've spent a lot of time with Crimson Clover, so I feel like I, I have a good amount to say about it. The first thing that definitely has to be pointed out is the fact that Crimson Clover is an indie shmup. On number five on the list, it was developed by Clover Tack. New listeners might not know who that is. He's a super player. He has the world record in CL, which is the ship I play, of Dodonpachi. So yeah, the dude is a Dodonpachi world record holder, and he also created his own shmup called Crimson Clover World Ignition. Well, Crimson Clover. This game also got a lot of attention outside of the regular shmup outlets like Total Biscuit. He was He's huge, or he was huge, rest in peace. Yeah, he covered it. Super Bunny Hop covered the game as well. It got a lot of attention, and it deserves it. It's an excellent game. Basically, I always view Crimson Clover as the blueprint of what every indie shmup should try to emulate as far as the features it includes. So it has a replay system. That's good. It has. It should have an online leaderboard, but, you know. I mean, that's one thing it could use, but it doesn't. That's, that's all right, I guess. It has awesome training sections. It has tutorial. It Actually, you can buy a guide which I think is really cool. I think more indie shmups should do that. The visuals of Crimson Clover are also really, really excellent, especially for an indie shmup. It, it could pass off as a cave game. Patoing, someone I talked to, did mention that he felt like the the visuals are a little noisy, the, the textures and stuff. And I do agree. When you look at the game, it is 
The visuals are kind of noisy. There's so many things to say about these games, so... The top ones deserve a lot of talk, though, but as we go further down the list, I'll probably say less and less. Crimson Clover is really fun to play for score. I actually just did a little scoring score of the month game for the uh, RF Generation guys. And uh, yeah, so I got to dig into Crimson Clover. I didn't clear it because I was also playing Zero Ranger at the time. So I kind of like didn't spend as much time on Crimson Clover as I probably should have. But I did get to stage way through stage four in the arcade mode. I feel like I could clear the game. It just takes some in original mode. It just takes some dedication. But and the game's really easy to get practice in. It's really accessible. Just so so many great things to say about Crimson Clover. It's cheap as shit. So if you're a PC shmupper, buy it. Okay. Because <laughs> there's no reason not to. It's hella cheap and it's on sale all the time. So pick it up. The soundtrack's awesome. It has an awesome arranged soundtrack. The visuals are really great. Doesn't even look like an indie shmup. It looks like something Cave might have made. So just overall, it's insane. And then number six on the list is DDP, the game I talk about the most because it's the game I play the most. So many things about to say about DDP. I think I've covered... DDP so much in this podcast that I don't want to dwell on it too much. So I'll just say, yeah, if you want to learn more about DDP, listen to my Prometheus episode. We just go ham about that game the entire time. I do think it deserves to be where it is. Number seven on the list, Armed Police Batrider. I really wish I had more to say about this list. I was actually going to interview Aquas about Batrider before this episode, and then time got away from me and I didn't do it. I should learn more about Batrider. I've played it a bit. It's, you know, similar to Grega in many ways, but also extremely different in other ways. So for the sake of not talking out of my ass too much, I'll just say, yeah, I I recognize it's one of the best shmups around. Definitely deserves to be on the list. I think that's a very fair placing for it. On the surface level, it's got everything. It looks great. plays plays well. I think it, I have no idea about the input lag. I think it's similar to Grega though. Maybe a little less. I don't know outside my scope of knowledge, so I'm sorry if I don't have too much to say about it. Number eight on the list, Ikaruga. So let's look at last year's list. Where was Ikaruga last year? It was 10, so it moved up. I wonder if there's a trend of ports, because it was ported to the Switch, and Ketsu was ported to the PS4. I do wonder if ports affect this list. That would be an interesting statistic to research. Maybe I'll do that at some point to track, because I could go back and track what ports came out, which years, and if they boosted the rain- rankings for the, the games. Ikaruga, on number 8, it moved up in the world. Personally, wouldn't have placed it this high, but Ikaruga, I've talked about it so much on my podcast that, like I said, I don't want to, oh my gosh, how much do I talk about Ikaruga on my show a lot, so I don't want to really dig into it too much. Number 8, that's fine. Yeah, it's a super popular game. I'm just glad it's not number 1, okay, because... I don't think it's the best shmup around, and I feel like it'd be too much confirmation. Even if it was the best shmup, I still wouldn't put it number one because, because if it's number one, no one, you know, new people are going to come to the genre. They're going to see, oh, Ikaruga, because all the other, like almost all the other lists put it as number one. Oh, Ikaruga is the best. Oh, and it's the only one who does this polarity mechanic, so it might lead people to play shmups further, or it might not. They might just play Ikaruga and then move on. I don't know why I'm talking smack about Ikaruga. It's a great game. Number eight. Okay, so let's go down. Number nine, Gradius Five, developed by Treasure. For y'all who don't know that, I I don't know how hardcore my audience would be who listens to this. I mean, my usual listeners all know this stuff, but I'm doing a lot of this for the new listeners in the future. So, created by Treasure, the same people who made Ikaruga. 
is it the best greatest game? Well, it's number f- it's higher on the list than the other greatest games. So that's a good question. <laughs> I like Greatest Gaiden better, to be honest, but Greatest Five is a badass game. Yeah, I could see why it's this high on the list. And let's see where it was last year, shall we? Thirteen. Wow. Treasure is making a comeback this year. Nine? It's a pretty big jump. The Treasure games are coming out hot this year. So Gradius 5 at number 9. Excellent game. Surprising it's only on PS2. But maybe it's like a, a Goldeneye type situation where Treasure and Konami came together for that one console. They're like, okay, this is it. And then it's stuck on there. Number 10, R-Type. Okay, <laughs> R-Type. R-Type, R-Type, R-Type. Okay, let's look at last year's list. R-Type is 17. I really hope this episode doesn't make a bunch of people salty, by the way. These are just my thoughts about the list. Yeah, if I say some shit that's wrong, I'm sorry. R-Type, number 10. I have a little bit of trouble understanding R-Type because, and I have to admit, old school horizontal shmups are a little bit outside of my preferred shmups. I don't hate them or anything, but it's like I don't really dig into them as deeply as the other ones. And the ones that I dig into... Probably my favorite one is Greatest Guide, and I really like that one. So, personally, I do struggle to see what separates our type from peers as far as what makes it really good. This particular title. So, it could be just a matter of it being its importance in history, because of course it's like a landmark shmup and historically, you know, done a lot for the genre. So, maybe that's why it's number 10 on the list, or maybe it's really good. I didn't have it on my personal list. But like I said, it's kind of outside my preferred zone that it's really hard for me to judge the quality of it compared to its peers and everything. Because I prefer Gradius. All the horizontal old school shmups, like Gradius is my series. I play the Gradius games mostly. And uh, our type is just a little too... It's just not my style. So number 10, I'm not saying it doesn't deserve it. I definitely have no authority to say something like that. It just does surprise me that it's number 10, that's all. Number 11 on the list, Mushi. I think I put it at 11 on my on there too. I think it deserves to be there. Mushi is an excellent game in many ways, though it has its flaws as far as playing it for score because of the auto-fire bug that I know that causes a lot of headache for players. And the scoring system I should also mention is very different from Futari. From what I understand from the people I've talked to, the scoring system in Mushi is more chain-based Dodonpachi style rather than uh, the gem-based counter style of Futari. So they're pretty different games, actually, which will come up later. Of course, Mushi looks great. The Steam port's really good, or at least it's better than the other (laughs) Steam ports. I don't think it's perfect, but it's better than the other Steam ports. And from what I heard, it might be a little more accurate than the 360 port as well. So, And the PS2 port is L garbage from what I hear. There's a little bit of mushy information for you. Number 12, Radiant Silver Gun. It's funny, I've actually only played Radiant Silver Gun a little bit, and it's a treasure game, so it definitely deserves to be here. Let's just see. As we go further down this list, by the way, I'm going to have less and less to say about these games just because I might not be as familiar with some of them. Like Radiant Silver Gun, I've only played a little bit, so I can't really comment too much about it. It was higher last year, so it went down. I could see that. I haven't heard too much about Radiant Silver Gun this year as far as people playing it and people being interested in it. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Radiant Silver Gun is extremely unique because it has so many different 
Just the way it plays is very different from other shmups as far as all the weapons you can use. So next we have Rayforce. I think Rayforce is a killer shmup. Maybe a little underrated, to be honest. I mean, on this list, I think it is where it needs to be. But just in general, I think you don't hear much about Rayforce. You have the lock-on mechanic in the game, the visuals. I remember I watched the Jamer's Rayforce clear like three or four times one day. I don't know why. The game looks really awesome. And I've played a little bit of it and I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I always think whenever there's locking on bullets, like they have in Crimson Clover, they like, or they have in Zero Ranger, I associate those with Rayforce. I don't know if they originate from Rayforce, but whenever I think of Rayforce, I think of those locking on bullets, which I think is a really cool weapon. So definitely a great game. Okay, up next at 14 is Escaluda. I could see why it's higher than Esperade because of it, I think it has less issues with the scoring. The cool thing about Escaluda is that, if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, I apologize, Escaluda, is that you can get it on a PGM. So you can get the PCB, so to say, the arcade version on original hardware, along with DOJ and Ketsui. I'm going to get that pretty soon and be playing a lot more Escaluda. Okay, coming in at number 14 is Escaluda. To this day, I'm surprised that it's still... Oh, Escaluda Arrange. That's interesting. I wonder if that means that this is specifically talking about the Arrange mode of Escaluda rather than Arcade. That's really interesting. I don't think I see any other Arrange modes on the list. That's really cool. Yeah, my experience with Escaluda is not super detailed. I did play it on the PS2, and it's, it is interesting that it never came to the 360 like Mushi did. But no, it, it remains on the PS2. Not too much to say about Escaluda. It's the follow-up to Esperade, but it's more medieval, if people don't know about that. I think it's a really accessible cave game, though. So if you're new to shmups and you want to kind of get into cave games, yeah, Escaluda is definitely a good, good place to start. It has a time-slowing mechanic that's really helpful. And I believe it's one of the easier cave games to clear and stuff, so 
It beats out Espaluda 2. I wish I knew a little more about both those games to comment on why the original arranged version beats out the sequel. So then, wow, really, at 15 is Dangan Feverun. That's like the redheaded stepchild of the cave shmups, where it's basically not a bullet hell. It's faster, a more traditional style shmup made by a cave. I really want to play more of it. I don't really know too much about it. There is a really good PS4 port of it. I do know it's, yeah, like I said, it has more of a old school, faster bullet style than cave games. There's also a really cool run of it at Stunfest, played by Jamers. And you get to see Jamers have using a Sega Saturn pad. Really cool game. I wish I could say more about Dangan Fever and I'm not super familiar with it, though I do know the M2 port is really solid. So then is Gradius Gaiden. See, this is my favorite Gradius game. And yeah, I think if you're wanting to get into Gradius or you like that style of shmup, it's definitely recommended. It's I feel like it has better level design than the other Gradius games. It's a little more dynamic, I feel like. Some of these ones, it's hard to explain too much about what makes them good, what makes them bad. Yeah, it looks great. Don't know the quality of the different ports. I assume the PSP port is really good, but I can't confirm that. I played it on PSP and I know it's it felt good, but as far as slowdown and all that, I have no idea if it's accurate or what. But yeah, it has a cool PSP port. R-Type Delta on the PlayStation 1. I'm just going to skip over that. I have no idea. Under Defeat, number 18. So Under Defeat, I've watched Aqua stream it for a long time. I've actually never played Under Defeat, but... I do listen to its soundtrack, and it is one of my favorite shmup soundtracks of all time. And it's got choppers. So, Under Defeat, I have no idea as far as too much about it, but I do know it It has a killer soundtrack. It looks really cool. You can get it on PS3. It's made by G-Rev. See, Under Defeat is definitely a shmup I need to dig into and give more time to, or give some time to, because it intrigues me. I think it looks really good. So, yeah, I'm glad it's on the list. Up next is Batsugun. That's a Toplan. Toplan? Toplan? Oh, please don't kill me. Toplan shmup. From what I understand, it was the shmup that directly inspired Don Pachi and then Dodon Pachi, the forebearer to Bullet Hell. So, yeah, it's a game, again, one of those games where I definitely need to check out and spend some more time with, but I don't, I'm not super familiar with other than its history. Thunder Dragon 2. I know Trap loves this game. I don't know much about it. I think it influenced what he's doing with Fire Lancer, from what I recall from the interview with him. So, I, again, like these types of shmups, Batsugun, Thunder Dragon 2, let's see what some of the other ones, Under Defeat, though that's a little different, Ray Force, like these kind of older, kind of, they're not like old school, but they're not modern shmups either, like the, the ones kind of in the middle. Those are the ones I feel like, personally, I want to start playing more of and getting to know better. Because I think they're really awesome games from what I hear. But yeah, I don't really know that much about them or don't have a lot of experience with them. Other than their history and all that. Strikers 2. I love Strikers 2. It's probably my favorite Psycho game. It's a great game. I haven't played a good port of it. The port of it on Switch is absolute garbage. Do not buy the Switch port. It's so laggy, it's not even worth buying. So play it on Shmup Arch or Shmup Mame or something. Or whatever other ports there are of it. PS2, apparently? I don't know. I don't know how good the other ports are, but the Switch port is crap. Strikers 2 is probably my favorite Psycho game. 
Oh yeah, and there's a really cool SCG Weekly uh, episode of, I believe it's Strikers 2, of uh, Plasmo clearing it on a cabinet. Yeah, Strikers 2, my favorite Psycho game. Followed by Gunbird 2, which is my second favorite Psycho game. So what's cool about Gunbird 2, I actually play quite a bit of Psycho. What I like about Gunbird 2 is it fixed the ridiculous hitboxes from Gunbird 1. Gunbird 1 is actually a lot of fun, but the hitbox is huge and it's like in the character's head rather than in their center. It drives me absolutely insane. I, to this day, I cannot play Gunbird very well because of the location of the hitbox. It's like in the in the girl's head. But in uh, Gunbird 2, they fixed the... I think it's a fix anyway. They altered, they changed it to be more like a cave-style hitbox, which I appreciate. Thank you. Though I've heard Gunbird 2, and what from what I've seen, like the second loop, Gunbird 2 survival-wise is completely ridiculous. The bullet speed gets insane to the point where I think you have to just memorize it because you can't even react. It's pretty funny. Look up a two-wall of Gunbird 2. It's pretty insane. 23 DFK. And I've played a lot of DFK. I'm not a, like a, an expert on it, but DFK is interesting because it's like one of those shmups where depending on your taste, you could move it up on the list quite a lot, or it's just hard to really place. It's I feel like it's definitely not as good as the other Dodonpachi games, but at the same time, it has a lot of cool, unique qualities that make it worth playing, and like you could really dig into DFK. The Steam port has slowdown issues, so... I don't think I can recommend that, but the 360 versions, there's Black Label, and then there's the Resurrection version, or just the Japanese version as well. Yeah, there's so much content to this game. I think it's really well made. I definitely prefer it over SDOJ. That's just me. I think it's an awesome game. Just doesn't quite hold up compared to... I think it's better than Donpachi, for sure. I personally like DOJ and DDP a lot more than DFK. It's actually a game I... I think a lot of newer shmup players can get into because it has the auto bombing system and the level design is really fun and maybe a little less harsh than the other Dodonpachi games. So yeah, DFK is really cool. And 24, Death Smiles. Death Smiles is my favorite horizontal shmup. I like Death Smiles a lot. So yeah, I don't know. I think I talk about it quite a bit in one of my previous episodes, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But yeah, I think Death Smiles such a cool shmup. I'm glad it made the list. And then 25, my, 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 one of my favorite shmups now, ever, and it just keeps growing on me, Zero Ranger, 25, yes, any shmup from this year cracked the list, how amazing, I think it deserves it, big ass fan of Zero Ranger, if it's not obvious by now, I've talked about the, the game all the time, I think it's a milestone in a lot of ways for where indie shmup should be going, and so many design elements of Zero Ranger are just the way of the future, the accessibility, but yet it's still just that balance between accessibility, but still being deep and hardcore and interesting. And it's just got it all. And like how it's not, it converted me from just playing cave games to like broadening my taste a little more, which I think is really good. So, and I just did a two wall of Zero Ranger this month. So I'm pretty fresh with it. I don't think I've had more fun playing a game for score and survival than Zero Ranger. It's definitely one of my favorite shmups. And on my own list, which I'll get to here very shortly, I underrate it because when I made my list, I hadn't spent as much time with the game as... I mean, it's still pretty high on my list. I would actually put it higher. And of course, there's more to come with the hard mode that's going to come out and all the fun secrets. And yeah, Zero Rangers is an insanely good game. And I definitely think it deserves to be on this list. And 
bold prediction is that it will continue to climb up the list. I believe it will. I don't think it'll just be 25 and then disappear. I think at next year's list it'll be even higher. So yeah, I've talked a shitload. I don't know how much of this I'm going to actually keep. My voice is getting really hoarse and tired. So I'm going to quickly go over my own list, then call it for this segment and go on to the next segment. So here's my voting for the list. And some of these choices I stand by, and some of these choices I wish I I will definitely change for next year because my opinions changed since I voted. You know, it's been like two months or something. And because my first time voting, it was actually a lot harder to come up with a list. So I think this is a good starter list for me. It definitely will not be the same next year. It'll definitely change. So if you go onto the form and you see my list and you're like, hmm, I don't know if I completely agree with that. That's okay because I don't completely agree with it. Anyway, so when I voted, I didn't just vote for my favorite games. I also tried my best to include games that I think, based on knowledge and based on familiarity with the scene, I feel are important, but maybe they're not my personal favorites. I still tried to rank them somewhat accurately or somewhat sensibly in one way or another. So at number one, DOJ. Number two, Battle Grega. Like, this is just like last year's list. Number three, Ketsui. So I feel like... Yeah, those are the top three. Number four, DDP. See, that's just personal preference. I put DDP there. I felt like I had to, even though Futari is probably a better game. I put DDP. Number five, Crimson Clover World Ignition. And I'll talk about Futari later because it, it's lo- it's pretty low on my list. And I think that was a mistake. Crimson Clover, number five. Yeah, Crimson Clover is awesome. Number six, Batrider. See, now, like I said, I don't have a ton of familiarity with Batrider, but I did a index for it. So I did spend a lot of time watching Batrider, and I have talked to Aquas quite a bit about it, and Eaglet, and Plasmo, and the other people in the community, and I felt like it's an important game. The raising games deserve to be represented, even if I don't have a whole lot of familiarity with Batrider as far as playing it. So I put Batrider there. So number seven and eight, I made it a tie between Futari and the original Mushi. And the reason why I did this is because I thought they were both important, but I didn't know, I couldn't remember what was better about the, the games and which one would be better and which one would be worse. So I just tied them up. But now that I've learned more about the series and more about the games, Futari should be higher and Mushi should be lower. So that's what I put there, but I just tied them. That's how I feel. Futari should be higher, Mushi should be lower. Then Rayforce. Talked about Rayforce already. I put a Toho game on here because I feel like Toho should be a little more represented in these lists. Huge their impact has been on the scene and how many people enjoy playing. I put Perfect Cherry Blossom as 15 and Mountain of Faith. Oh, this is going to confuse me. Okay, so I put Cherry Blossom and then Mountain of Faith. Personally, I like Mountain Faith more, but I'm also a scrub when it comes to Toho. I don't play them very much. And from what when I talked to people in my Discord about which one they felt was better and which one the Toho players in there liked the more, they liked Perfect Cherry Blossom more, so I put it higher. Next up after those two is Dan Macklin Limited 3. Yeah, I talked about this game a ton on the podcast. It's one of my favorite indie shmups. I actually feel like I would change this looking back. When I made this list, I was literally playing Dan 3 all the time for that uh, scoring competition that I did. And so it it got a little bit of like uh, recency bias there where I was spending so much time with it, it, it jumped up the list pretty high. 
But now that time has passed and I'm looking at this list more objectively, I would definitely switch Dan 3 and Zero Ranger spots. But I still think Dan 3 is an awesome game. I think more people should pay attention to it. It's not perfect, but it's got a lot going for it. The blend between the Toho and Cave style is really awesome, and I think it's a great bridge game between the two communities, and I really enjoy it, so Dan 3. But I would switch it with Zero Ranger. I'd put Zero Ranger there in its place. I'd switch them. So between those two is Guenge. So after that is Ikaruga. And then Strikers 2, Gunbird 2, Blue Revolver. I was surprised not to see more Blue Revolver, to be honest. I'm starting to value indie shmups a lot more, and so I feel like Blue Revolver is on there. And then Ibarra, Esperade, Espgluda. I recognize that Espgluda is better in many ways than Esperade because of the scoring and stuff, but I still like Esperade more, so I put it, that's where I put it. Plus, hopefully with the arranged version of, or the M2 version of Esperade, we get a good arranged mode. Then I put the Fire Lancer demo. Should I put this here? I don't know. I really love the demo, and I don't know, I just wanted to put it on the list to kind of show, I think it's going to be killer when it comes out. And the demo was a lot of fun. Shows a ton of promise. And then Blazing Star, this is like near the bottom of my list, okay, so 23, Blazing Star, just a personal favorite of mine, I've played forever. It's got a lot of problems, but I like it quite a bit. I feel like it's one of the better Neo Geo shmups too. Then Axelay, yeah, I put Axelay on here. Axelay's got a lot of problems too, but I feel like it's really unique and fun, and yeah, I think it's a great game, so I put it at 24, I think that's okay. And then 25, Ketsui Destiny Arrange Mode. I didn't know where to put this on the list, so I put it at the end. I think the range mode for Ketsui is really cool, it's a lot of fun. When I dig into it more, I can rate it better next year, because this year I only really scratched the surface. So I don't really have a good, clear opinion of how good it is compared to all these other shmups. I think it's one of the best arranged modes I've played, and I know Iconoclast had a blast with it, and it was fun watching his progress in the mode, and I had a lot of fun playing it as well. So yeah, I think that it's a really cool arranged mode, and I look forward to like digging into it more in the future. And then I did some honorable mentions. Not a lot of people did these, but I did. So these are honorable mentions, so this is just like, hey, these are shmups I like, basically. Raiden 2. Yeah, I like Raiden 2. Sexy Proteus. I like Sexy Proteus, especially the name. Akai Katana. Pro Gear. Grady's Gaiden. Batsugun. Esperade. Espgluda 2. DFK. And Radiant Silvergun. That, yeah, that's my list, and those are my honorable mentions. When you look at the voting thread, like there's a lot of diversity with people's votes, so it's not like a big deal if you don't agree with my votes or anything like that. And there's some of them that I would actually switch around even now, so... I guarantee next year's list, if I make one next year, will be quite a bit different than this year. I feel like I'm learning more and more about these games. And just in preparation of this episode, I feel like I learned way more about these games. So yeah, that's the greatest most of all time list. I think it was just fun to talk about it. Uh, if I said something incorrect or annoying, I apologize. Just talking about the list, there's so much to talk about with these games that it's really hard to cover everything and to be completely on point with all my everything I covers, but I'll try and edit it to where at least I'm somewhat sure of what I'm saying. And so to end this episode, and it's really interesting because, and I think the irony is too delicious to deny. So let me explain this situation. So back in October of last year, I recorded a bonus episode of the podcast. Okay. So it was 
in addition to the other episodes I was releasing. And I was planning on releasing it when I had some downtime or on Christmas or just when I had some downtime or something. But I ended up never having any downtime. Editing backlog was always like two steps ahead of me. Like I always had an episode I had to edit. Like always. So I ended up sitting on this episode for a really long time. And then it started to be like, oh shit, I need to release this. But I couldn't ever find a way to fit it into my release schedule uh, until now. So here's the funny thing is this episode is going to be a little bit of schmupception because within the episode is another episode that I recorded back in September, October. I can't even remember. It's like October of last year. And so, yeah, some of the, so this is a one final glimpse at more optimistic or I don't know what you call it, like the older style of my episodes and stuff because this is literally an old episode that I never was able to find a way to release and the the formatting of the episode was a round talk discussion with two of my discord members about the subject of community and why community and shmups is so important and it's kind of funny and ironic that I include this on the same episode that I talk about my discord being shut down because it's kind of funny how that worked out so I'm going to cut to that episode and that will close out the podcast. It's going to be a long podcast because I'm basically combining two different episodes. Hope you enjoy. And if I say something or if, oh, and I have to definitely warn you that one of my guests, Shori, so scheduling the, the call was really tricky because I had two guests and it was kind of like a crazy time of the year. So when we finally did be able to get together to do the recording, Shori's mic was having all kinds of issues and I didn't want to reschedule it and I thought maybe I could with the magic of audio repair like fix up some of the audio issues with his mic but really I was being naive because there wasn't I've spent days working on trying to repair the audio issues and they're just not there's not much that can be done there's just the way the crackling works it just blends into his voice too closely where I couldn't ever extract it in a satisfactory way. So just to warn you, yeah, Shory's mic does have some crackling and stuff when he talks. Uh, it gets a little better as the call goes on, but yeah, just to warn you guys, I apologize about that. I I didn't want to reschedule, and uh, these days I would have. But remember, back then, my audio, my standards for audio quality weren't as high, so I, I kind of let things rock a little more than I would now. And also, it's an older episode, so... It'll be a fun blast from the past, from last year and what was going on last year. It's kind of interesting to see how it parallels and overlaps with what's going on right now. So that's what I'm going to cut to. Thanks for tuning in to the episode before the episode. Have a good night, everyone.
hey everyone, welcome to this special episode of the Electric Underground podcast. This is an episode format that I'm going to try and play with moving forward called Shmup Talk, where we get a group of Shmup players together to talk about, you know, some certain topics. And this week we have a really interesting topic to talk about because the guest on one of the earlier episodes of the podcast, McCormo, wrote some articles about the Shmup scene and the Shmup community and, you know, some of the things he wrote about. I thought were really interesting and really cool to talk about because, you know, depending on how you view the community, they could either, you could either agree with them, disagree with them. So that's kind of the main focus of what we will be talking about today. But before we get started with McCormo specifically, I think it'd be good to begin the conversation with just some prefacing topics that will help us kind of move forward. And so the first topic I want to hear your guys' thoughts on is why does community matter in the first place? Why even care about having community in shmups, right? So I'll turn to you guys. Um, Dingo, what do you think? Why do you think it matters that we have a shmup community? If you think it matters, I mean, I th I think it just it really benefits the player and genre mutually. You know, I think it one helps cultivate more. I think I think you know enjoyment, even just to ha be able to interact with others about a similar interest, but also the natural progression of that would be gaining more players that would hopefully generate more people playing these games and then seeing more of them. So I think like the whole, yeah, all the different factors and coming together, I think, is what makes it, if not essential, at least very an important factor in having especially in a game type such as this right and if i'm not mistaken you're you're kind of like myself where you know you're a recent member of the shmup community or you recently got into shmups that would be largely accurate like i've always had a fondness for the genre type but i guess i'm more it was just a general arcade game type of just from liking arcades from growing up and so i would you know buy one here or there but only over the last yeah year and a half or really since i got my computer yeah a little bit under a year and a half ago have i really started amassing them and getting to this point of now trying to you know clear and potentially score in them and such yeah do you remember i guess if not the moment i guess the time period where you made a transition from having a more casual interest to a more invested interest in them. Do you remember what kind of sparked that? I would say it's probably a combination of just the time I was putting into kind of, I guess, checking out as many different games as I could and buying all sorts of ones, especially with Steam. You can find so many cheap ones. Um, and also coming from like a fighting game background as well, kind of having like the competitive edge there or not not at no edge by any means but uh drive oh, edge. soul edge <laughs> yeah how about you shori how did you get into shmups honestly it's a uh, kind of roundabout i got in because uh i was currently on a castle i was on a castlevania kick at the time and i saw a castlevania fan game that had toho characters in it and I was really interested in that because it just seemed weird to me. I then checked out Toho in general, and that got me interested in shmups. 
And because I have a background in fighting games, I went straight to Akashicverse, which is one of those really weird shmups, which has fighting game commands for certain stuff. Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. It sounds like all three of us then have a background in the fighting game community before getting into shmups. Yeah, so that kind of, I guess, lends itself maybe a little bit of confirmation as to my thinking of there is an underlying connection between the two in some way or another. I think it's a little more than that. I think there's kind of a connection between the art, various arcade genres in general, like music games and aforementioned fighting games and shmups, but also puzzle games like Puyo Puyo and such. Right, yeah. I've heard I've heard that a lot, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's valid. It's probably going to be encountered the most, I guess, with fighting games these days just because of the resurgence of it. But yeah, I think across yeah, true. genres, it probably would apply. Yeah, and so when we've been talking about, because, you know, the last few episodes of the podcast, this was probably released way later on, but there's a section of the podcast where a lot of the episodes were kind of more focusing on community ideas or the the community around the games rather than just the games themselves. And so I guess maybe the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, we had discussions about this in the Discord and a lot of people were saying, or at least some people were saying that they're not really a big fan of the idea of expanding the shmup community because they feel like making it bigger would ruin it or make it, you know, less what it is now or lose its identity. I wanted to hear what you guys have thought about that concept i can say like me personally i would be one of the first to have that fear generally but i think given where the genre is at and just the barrier of entry i just feel like it would be hard for it to ever get to some point where it's so over yeah like i I can't i just can't see that happening i mean i could be wrong but so I think that the more and more players we can get just to sustain it. And I just would like to see it feel like a, I guess, safer, if you will, like sort of like the niche RPGs that, you know, are going to be there all the time. Tons of them coming out. It'd be mm-hmm. nice to have that kind of comfort, yeah. um, that blanket there. Right. What do you think, Shori? I understand the uh, thoughts behind it because newer games like uh, Pink Sweets and Gothic Wamaho Otome are really different from stuff in the past like Gradius and R-Type. But to be honest, uh, I don't really think that fear is ever going to become reality either because not only are there still going to be new people making making games along those lines, but if people are afraid of the new stuff being all moe and stuff, then they can always just go back to play the old games. Very true. Very true. Yeah, I mean, there's such a huge amount of also just kind of for a a genre that is really small in the grand scheme of things. Steam, for example, it's it's probably one of the most represented because every guy that makes one of their first cheap games is usually some kind of shmup and it's it's kind of interesting to look at it from that perspective too i mean they're not i would think most of them aren't great but there are like a million yeah run-of-the-mill ones floating around as well which is kind of interesting to think about 
It is. I know what you're saying. I think when I was first learning Game Maker, there was even some tutorials on how to make day one shmup, how to make day one platformer, you know, and I remember what before I was, I was actually, I wasn't into shmups at this time necessarily. And I remember, you know, the coding was just very simple of, you know, press mouse and it shoots a bullet, move, move your ship around with the mouse kind of thing. And yeah, I think they do kind of get that stigma of being kind of a beginner's basic game and there's not really much to them beyond yeah, that. Yeah, even even Unreal Engine 4 has a template for twin stick shooters, which would probably really easily be able to be converted into a standard shmup. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, that's a topic for another day, but I actually have been curious like what the crossover or the like the f- feelings at large on twin stick games are amongst like traditional I mean I'm a much more fan of a traditional sh- shooting game but yeah I, 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 I didn't know how much they integrated them now or not yeah I'm not completely sure either my guess would be not much at all just because of the large difference in how they control a twin stick is almost like playing an FPS in some ways you know except you don't have up and down you're just looking left and right but you're using two analog sticks or a mouse and keyboard. That would be my guess, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, even in general, twin stick shooters seem to be just way more popular than standard shoot-em-ups. Yeah. Enter the Gungeon trumps basically everything except Jamestown in terms of uh, relative Steam owners. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, it's crazy how much, like that gets brought up like whenever i bring up the fact that i like playing shoot 'em up games people that aren't into the genre actively always point to that game or will bring that up it's like the connecting game and i don't know hey aside from the fact that it doesn't really appeal yeah. to me that much it like i actually kind of sweet like i had my little brother over and he played that game and he was just watching me play some riding five and he was just like dude like that little part alone i think it was like the second level he's like is infinitely crazier than anything i had to deal yeah. with in the whole enter the gungeon yeah yeah i've not even been that lucky because uh i've mentioned uh space invaders to a couple of people on my campus and people think seem to think that uh, shoot 'em up is a first person shooter because yeah yeah that's funny so what you mentioned before, both of you, about not being too concerned with the community getting really watered down or really flooded with a bunch of trolls or a bunch of, I don't know what you'd say, like a bunch of people just spamming flame threads and stuff. I don't have that fear either, and I have a number of reasons why I think that way. The first is, like Dingo said, this is a really technical genre. It's a really intensive genre. So it, I kind of think of other games and other communities I belong to, like like Third Strike's a really good example of that, where Third Strike had its own really small niche community, and then 4 came out, and Street Fighter exploded and got huge. And then a bunch of people kind of started playing Third Strike on the side, and I think that was just a good thing for Third Strike players overall. I don't think... Because it was kind of like it gave the people who were the hardcore OG Third Strike players a chance to shine a little more than they normally did, and maybe make a little more money, or get the game a little more attention than it would have. And so I think anything that we do now, 
unless some massive, I don't know, some massive miracle occurs. I think we just, even focusing on community as hard as we do now, I think would just have a small gradual increase in players. We wouldn't see this sudden boom of players all of a sudden just showing up out of nowhere. I really don't think that concern is something we need to worry too much about at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think even when it almost happens, it's usually game-specific, like, you know, Cuphead, which not like a full-on traditional shmup, but, you know, like, that's a huge, big deal, but it's pretty much isolated to that game. It didn't doesn't seem to have a... Yeah, there's really not a lot of, like, casual players that are, like, you know, just general gamers that have too many shmups, really. Like, Ikaruga seems to be the one that most casual people have or know about i think that's mainly because of the uh, brand name and uh the gamecube port happening uh in international markets because there's a crap ton of games that never saw release in the west and most people just aren't interested yeah. in importing very true i mean i'll be the first to admit that i want to say ikariga was if not the first one of the first two or three games i got for my computer with that question and mm-hmm. i mean I, I as well as recommended to a friend as one of the ones to get for switch because even though it is difficult yeah. it is such a slick game that you know no matter how you feel about it the presentation is gonna i think impress the average person to some extent yeah before we move on to the articles there's one more thing i want to talk about because i think this is a really unique situation where both you and I, Dingo, I'm not sure about you, Shori, if you were interested in Tekken in the past, but as I understand, both you and I were fans of Tekken, even like active fans of Tekken, before Tekken 7 came out. Oh. Yeah, I have to say, before that time, being a member of the Tekken community was kind of like being a member of the Shmup community, where, yes, people knew about Tekken, but no one really cared that much about the game or the game series. And you kind of spent all your time trying to explain to other players why Tekken's cool and no one would play it. Yeah, like, and I feel like it, <laughs> while it definitely had better numbers than your super niche thing, it definitely, anytime you were watching a stream or whatever, you'd have to deal with everybody moaning the second Tekken came on. And then, yeah, so I totally get it in that regard. And the numbers were getting pretty small, too, like with tournament turnouts and stuff. And where I live, too, I think Tekken is more popular kind of on the like on the West Coast and the East Coast, but kind of in the the Pacific Midwest where I live. 3D games, but especially like Tekken, really not played that much. But anyway, so what the reason I'm talking about it is because before that time, before Tekken 7 came out, I remember there was being a lot of thinking about maybe Tekken's done. Maybe it's over. Do you remember those kind of people thinking that way at all? Well, I know when it like it initially didn't get one of the years, I think three or four years ago, it didn't make the Evo cut. And then it it mm-hmm. did magically at the end. Like, I think Bandai worked out something with uh, or Namco or both. Yeah, worked out something with Evo and it, it ended up being there. I don't know if it was Tekken Tag 2 or if it was the arcade version of Tekken 7, but Either way, um, yeah, I mean, they still got like 400, 500 people, which I think at the time was still somewhat decent, but 
it's grown so fast all of the games that that's a really small number now i mean it was the numbers this year were and if tekken had 1500 i i can only imagine what the other games had i can't remember the year i think it was 2014 but i remember one of the years it was the last year of street fighter 4 street fighter had like over 2000 players if not more i can't remember but like a massive number of players and i swear yeah tekken had like yeah i think that was so the it was the disparity was insane yeah for sure and i mean i guess that was still viewed as like a moderate success given like the games that were out at the time but yeah it was like a surprise that it even got that much yeah but now here we are in the year 2018 and tekken is hot it's popping off people who never played tekken never gave a crap about tekken are playing it and loving it and so I wanted to hear your thoughts as, you know, someone who's been in the Tekken community, like myself, before the, the resurgence. Are you li- are you liking it more now, or do you like it better then, when it was a small community of, you know, a few players hanging around here and there? I would say I like that. I don't keep up with every tournament, but, you know, I still enjoy watching some really high-level play here and there. So I like that there's a high volume of tournaments with the whatever their version of the kind of tour is now. Mm-hmm. While they do a better job of it than Street Fighter, like they've maintained, I think, a more natural feel like with the commentators and community players they have that they usually have on the mic. It's still it's not as like fun, it's not as fun as the commentary and things of that nature you'd get you know a few years ago when it was i don't know yeah i mean i know that comes with the territory but yeah i guess that's the element that you're always going to miss just i guess a little more of that raw just like competitive chaos that tends to you know manifest at tournaments like i'm all about like progression as far as like not saying horrible words but you know also not being right Make sure you don't swear once in the broadcast and so on. Gotta be family friendly. Uh, yeah, and I, I think Tekken is known for kind of being a little more edgy than a lot of the other fighting game scenes, even back in the day. So Yeah. But there there have been some moments, even in the eSport days, where I think Tekken's just kind of, kind of still been able to be itself a lot. Like, I don't know if you've caught the time where Bronson Tran played in a tournament and commentated at the same time. I did actually. That was really that it funny. Was really, like, if I if I if I did not like already know like who he was and like his personality, I would have probably hated him. But just knowing where he came <laughs> from and like the kind of the story behind it, it, it was definitely enjoyable. Yeah, it was a lot of it was pretty funny. And yeah, even like uh, I mean, Eris, you know, I have ups and downs on how I feel about him, but. I think everyone does. Yeah, like it's it's it it's fun to hear like him and Mark Mann still like slip up, if you will. Like even though I think they do it on purpose, you know. And the I feel like yeah. that yeah, they keep it more real on their stream definitely than the SF five alternative or Right. Yeah. The Capcom people, basically. And I, yeah, I feel like you get the sense that the Capcom people are a lot more afraid of Capcom than the Tekken people are afraid of exactly. Namco. Like, you kind of get the feeling, yeah, they have a way better relationship I with Namco. I think it's more that uh, people are afraid of uh, the, the sponsors of Capcom more than anything else because uh, they've got they've got live 
tournament footage going on, like ESPN and the FCC is that's kind true. of restrictive. Yes, that's true. Yeah, like I feel like they've all gotten some airtime at some point, but yeah, naturally Capcom's going to be the biggest one. But sorry, moving me on. So bringing this back to shmups, I guess, and why I brought this up in the first place is because I feel like, so my own personal experience, even though I do like some of the aspects of having that smaller community and being kind of like an inside crowd, I'm personally, I'm enjoying a lot more these days where people are playing Tekken, talking about Tekken, I can wake up and if I want to watch a video about Tekken, I can, or if I want to chat with someone about Tekken. They'll actually want to talk about the game rather than be like, nah, who cares? You know, what, what, who, what's Tekken? I know what Tekken is, but who cares kind of thing. So I would like, I, when I think about this with, in the world of shmups, I think some people kind of fear it would be a world of, I don't know what, but I just kind of think about it more of like how Tekken is now where I'd wake up and, oh, hey, someone made a shmup video I can watch today. Or, hey, I can listen to someone's shmup podcast that isn't my own podcast or just more shmup content out there or more people caring about the genre or hey there's more exciting games coming down the line i think having a larger community would be beneficial in a lot of ways that people kind of maybe underestimate maybe they're afraid of a uh, rhythm game situation where two games basically dominated the western genre for a while and then crashed because they put out too many entries too quickly maybe yeah i agree with that, I mean, I would, yeah, absolutely, like, I'm always trying to look up something that I assume just because normally, oh, it's the internet, I'm going to find the message board that has all the answers to what I'm looking for. And it's always surprising, like, with the shmup when you just cannot find that information. So it would definitely yeah. be nice to have more of that. But at the same time, yeah, like, I don't see it quite reaching the popularity of Tekken, but even I always go back to oh, that me neither. point. Definitely not. Like all those Disgaea or whatever, you know, an Atlas RPG, you know, you know you're going to have Fire a Emblem, massive de- dedicated group of websites and message boards that you can check and have a boatload of people talking about it. So I definitely, that's where at least I'd like to see it get to for sure. I think part of the issue right, is or- that uh, so much of the Shmup community is centered around Asia and 
there's a lot of different languages here that most of us probably won't be able to read without Google Translate. And yeah, it's just right. so hard to actually find a Japanese shmup site that through Google and such that most people won't even bother. That's true. There's been times where I've been trying to look up strategies for Dodonpachi. And I've heard, you know, people like, oh, you know, there's all these great resources. Read them in Japanese, but, you know, I can't read Japanese. So <laughs> just having more people around with the skills maybe to translate resources or to create their own guides and to just offer a little more content to the Shmup community, I think would be a good thing. I don't think we're anywhere, anywhere near oversaturated at this point. I feel like there's a lot of ground that could still be worked on for sure. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm. Yeah, even with like a set, steady stream of releases, I think that the amount of people that are playing them at length, even, you know, if you look at a Steam review, it's a oh, great classic game, you know, arcade, reminds me of this, I love it, I'm definitely going to put a bunch of time into it, but then they put 0.7 hours into the game, and you yeah, see that a funny. lot, actually, and so, yeah, I think it's definitely more dedicated player base or focused or just yeah the content could help that certainly as well yeah and i think i can point to a specific example of that which is dan macro unlimited 3 so i was getting really into that game and was considering putting a lot of time into it score wise but when i go to look up the scores there are literally like three other people who played that game and logged their scores and then they didn't even play the same ship type as me so I was thinking, okay, do I want to spend all this time putting together this insane run of a ship type that no one will ever compete against and it'll just sit there probably on a page that's never looked at? So I was like, no, I'm just going to play Dodonpachi, just continue to focus on Dodonpachi. So I think this really naturally brings us to the first article we can talk about, which is bringing new players into the genre by... McCormo. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to make the call, but I'll try my best to at least express what I understand his, kind of his ideas are and kind of give my own feedback. So, Dingo, what did you think about the article? I, I thought it brought up a lot of good points, and I like the... I guess he had two parts, or we, we're, we're talking about the initial one. I agree with the overall perspective, although I, some of the more like some of the com comparisons I was, I didn't completely agree with. I think the barrier of entry or like the skill gap in a shmup title versus your standard popular action adventure game is dramatic enough to be emphasized as, you know, I guess big deal as far as just your average person trying to complete the game as opposed to completing Gears of War, you know, like, I don't think there's the parallel, I don't find there to be a parallel that there. I can definitely agree with that. What do you think, Shori? It's kind of complicated, because while I do agree with the uh, whole fighting game community section of it, where he wants to uh, emulate how they work in terms of getting people interested, I something just bugs me about the rest of it. Okay, what is it? I haven't quite gotten it down yet, so sorry. <laughs> That's fine. You have time to think about it. Go I ahead, can Dina. say, like, I think it was just, which is, you know, 
why I've, I've kind of been making like the random jokes on one credit clears <laughs> whenever I had had the opportunity on the Discord uh-huh. uh, was largely inspired by the article. I just feel like it was oversimplified, or it not not the article itself, but the task that that presents for most players that aren't dying to play the game per se in the first place to then kind of minimize the amount of time and effort that they would have to put into the game to obtain that. Yeah, I, I think uh, I what, I'm, what I'm getting here is that uh, this is good for getting people who are already invested, who are already interested in the genre to get into high-level stuff, but it's kind of missing the whole part where you get people interested in the genre in the first place. I could see that. I, I, I kind of agree with that sentiment somewhat because I, I know th- that's obviously the intention clearly, you know, and the passion of writing the article and, you know, why he cares so much about those elements and the scoring and so on. But as I, I've, like I've said a couple of times, I think just having people wanting to play the games, buying them, even if they're not playing them super, I mean, I want them to play them and try and beat them, you know, and, and experience what makes the genre good. That That is very important to me. But I think that having just people buying them and paying that market alone is a good thing. I mean, anybody that's going to help me have the potential to get more games brought over here or whatever, I don't see why that would ever bother me, basically. Yeah, I can definitely see where you guys are coming from. And I definitely have my own thoughts of what I think of, you know, the article as far as I personally just to, I guess, clarify, I, I agree with a lot of what the article says. I do know that it ha- kind of has a more like in your face tone. Personally, I, I don't mind that because sometimes, you know, I enjoy that kind of style. But I know that's not everyone's style either. Yeah, I but... think uh, going too in your face is just going to scare people away directly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm all about, like, the... I do like blunt... I mean, you know, like, play to win the like the fighting game thing, just calling everyone a scrub and telling them that their fake approach to games is, like, imaginary and all that. I, lo- I do love that stuff, definitely. Get but good. I just think in that article where people, if a new reader was reading it, they may not even know some of that, some of those things anyway. Or and even the terminology. Sure, definitely. Right. And so I'm going to try my best right now to channel McCormo <laughs> and try and represent, because I have talked to him about the articles, you know, outside of just reading the article and stuff. So I'm trying my best to channel him right <laughs> now and do my best to represent what he might, how he might respond. And so I may be completely off McCormo. I'm sorry <laughs> if you're listening to this. And, I, <laughs> and I'm like way off what you're thinking, but I'm going to try. So I think... Because I think there's a lot of things that I kind of understand what he's talking about. I think what his article is mostly about is it's not directed at new players. Like, he doesn't... His audience, the person he's imagining reading the article, I don't believe is a new player. He's directing it more at people like ourselves, people who've been around in the community, at least for a little while, who kind of have an understanding of it, and have kind of just settled in to where we're just kind of going with the flow a little bit. and. I guess maybe there are some players who, if you're looking at shmups from a competitive perspective like he is, where you want people to 
play for high scores and to compete back and forth on scoreboards, then I think what his article is trying to do is trying to get people who have been around in the genre for a long time, who have played in the genre for a long time, but have never really graduated past playing casually, I guess you could say, and try and encourage them to do so, to try and encourage them to dust out their favorite shmup and actually try and play it for score rather than just strictly survival. That would be my guess as to kind of the background on what he's thinking. Yeah, that sounds about right from what I've read of it. Thing is, though, a lot of people just aren't interested in the competitive aspect at all, and uh, I don't really think this approach would work on them. I could I could see that, for sure. I, I think that the potential for people to be... I mean, because I think there's still a general understanding, even in the terrible reviews we often discuss on the Discord as, as far as, like, mainstream reviewing, they, you still will see them note, like, and you can keep coming back trying to get your beat your high score, or, you know, you always, they always sprinkle that in somehow. So I feel like that mm-hmm. the association is still there. I mean, granted, I don't know how much of the general public actually cares about that, though. I guess what I was trying to say, ultimately, is through survival runs, like, to the extent of, like, a one-click, they're not just trying to get through the game in any way, unless it's, like, our types, then, you, you know, getting through, I think, is pretty <laughs> yeah. respectable. Right. If you get, once you're at the point of attempting to try and clear a game within one credit, you're, in most cases, if you've put that much time and effort and are intuitive at all to the game, I feel like you're going to pick up on some of those things and want to employ them. And I mean, like with me, when I'm playing so much Refrain, it was, and this kind of goes with the scoring of survival or vice versa. Yeah. And I think the article speaks to me in a lot of ways because I feel like had I read it a year ago rather than today, I think my views on it would be pretty different. So maybe maybe I'll give the I'll offer this up and hear what you guys think. So it reminds me of when I first started playing Dodonpachi. I think it was two years ago now that I actually got my first one all, my first survival clear of the first loop of that game. And I remember after I got that, I thought to myself, all right, I'm done with this game. I've gone through, I've got the one-all. Maybe someday I'll go for the two-all, but for now I'm done. And then I went on and played a bunch of other shmups. And for a long time, my thinking was, I didn't really give a damn about score at all for a long time. I just wanted to get clears. And I kind of would write down a little list of all the games I want to get clears in. Okay, I've got Dodonpachi, now I want to do DOJ next, and then DFK, and kind of just made a list of the games I wanted to get clears in. And even when I launched this podcast earlier this year, I kind of was still thinking that way, where I just wanted to get clears. I wasn't really worried about score at all. And in the games I was playing, especially Dodonpachi, in some games like Refrain, they kind of go hand in hand, right? Like playing well for survival also lends to playing well for score. But in some shmups like Dodonpachi, playing for consistent survival, like using strategic bombing and using different methods of consistently getting survival obliterates your score because <laughs> that game wants you to basically never bomb ever and like comboing certain ways so basically the tension in that game is survival and uh, scoring do not go hand in hand like you're always you need to basically 
learn the game for survival, but then relearn the entire game for score. So there, it's like two different ways of playing that game. And so I think maybe what McCormo's getting, because he plays DOJ and it's similar yeah. in that. So I guess maybe what McCormo's getting at is a lot of people, myself included a year ago, will play these games at the first level of getting the clear, getting the survival, and then move on and never return to play it the second way, to play it for score. Yeah, I think the importance there really lies in if they plan on return, you know, whatever game that they mm-hmm. are most passionate about at the end of the day, you know, just making sure that you do come back to it if that's, you know, and that factor stays with you. Because I totally think that it's natural and even good to want to go out and clear all of these great names and yeah, I titles from the history of this genre that we've heard. Like, I want to experience them all. So naturally, that's part of my goal. But through that experience, you know, even already in, in the limited amount of time, you know, there's certain games I have a fondness for and I want to get a better score in as a result of that. Dingo, I wanted to talk about something you mentioned earlier about the article, because I do agree. If I were to give my feedback on this article, there's a lot of things I do like about it. But one thing I think it does kind of miss out on is the period of time that every shmup player needs. This is my opinion. Of course, people will disagree or can disagree. But in my opinion, I feel like every shmup player, there needs to be this time time period in their shmup, shmup learning the genre of messing around and playing for survival. And I've talked to a lot of shmup players about this, even like extremely talented, high-scoring ones, and all of them have said that there was a time before they became, you know, these great, like Prometheus is a really good example, and his episode will be out, where he talked about before he set the Western world record in Dodonpachi, he spent two years playing that game for survival and just doing kind of what I did, of just getting familiar with surviving in the game and surviving in the genre and building up his fundamentals. And so I do think that is one aspect of the article that I think it doesn't apply very well to new players who don't have those fundamental skills built up because they, I really feel like if you took the most dedicated person and put, sat them down in front of Dodonpachi, but they've never played many shmups before and said, play this for score. I don't know how far they could get, to be honest even with the most extreme dedication. Even if they play for survival, they probably won't get far. <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of what I... Th- I just think, without question, in my opinion, these games, the ones that are challenging at least, are among the most challenging games you can play that's available. You know, you can always raise challenges in other games through settings and stuff, but as far as just a raw, like, pure experience that you need to basically just put more into in order to even, yeah, clear, let alone yeah, success, which in this instance, you know, would be scoring well or, or something to that effect that... Definitely. Yeah. How long did it take you to get your first... What would you say your first substantial clear? Because I think there's some shmups where you could clear them. But, I mean, the first one that you're, like, this is the first big clear. How long did that take you, would you say, Dingo? Well, steam hours are always a little hard to trust, you know, because 
of all the yes. times you lived because I'm like, all right, I know I didn't play that game for 70 hours or whatever. But I mean, Refrain would be that game. I mean, I I, did, I was able to technically one credit this game called Vector Strain, which is mediocre. They actually do review it on Bullet Heaven. It it's not the worst game, but it's it's just you know pretty bare bones. But right, that was still only on easy and just to unlock something. But yeah, Refrain was the first one where I was like, okay. Yeah, that game's hard. It's not a walk in the park. No, it definitely has some. It feels accessible for sure, but it, yeah, it definitely has moments where, yeah, if you're not careful, yeah. The challenge, it it definitely spikes up, I guess, once you get into Mm -hmm. the game. But yeah, that was the one that it just had such a, it just resonated with me so well that I really figured, okay, I'm going to go for this. Because I still wasn't sure, even though I have the kind of drive slash arrogance in games where I'm like, man, you know, I'm good at games. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to beat this game or I can whatever, like some, some Sparta difficulty on Devil May Cry. I'm going to go right to that, even though I regret it uh-huh. and so on. But you know, I always like believe I can do something, but at the same time, I'm realistic about it and kind of didn't really think I was going to be doing that very much as far as it came to the games. But yeah, just the amount of, I guess the fact that I'd gotten slightly close and just how much I liked the game, I just really decided that, all right, this is the one I'm going to try and get a one credit clear on. And thankfully, yeah, but it definitely was, yeah, hours. Sorry, I went on too long there. But um, it probably took 60 hours, I'd say, of like me playing again i was still learning and getting better at the genre so that i guess there's that to factor in as well as yeah that's part of it though that's part of the question for sure oh yeah um and with a game that is as you probably know now like pretty hard to get information on yes (laughs) it made it you know that much more challenging because i i had to kind of piece together bits of information between yeah pretty much between Bullet Heaven Review and some Japanese translated sites was all I could really get. But um, yeah, I mean, a minimum of 60 to 80 hours, I'd say I probably played before I actually hit it. I mean, there were so many close calls before that, but yeah. Uh-huh. How about you, Shori? I've recently been trying on the, this game called Stella Vanity. It's super, oh, it's yeah. super obscure, only available in the West on DL site, which is probably more known for porn than anything else. Really? <laughs> That's funny. But it's a surprisingly awesome shmup. It's, it's got six different difficulties, uh, two different modes that completely change how the game plays and scores. I've been, I've been trying to get through it with the, uh, with the simpler type C mode, but, Difficulty just ramps up severely on stage seven, and it just wrecks me. Wow. How long have you been working on this game or some of your other clears, would you say? I've been working basically exclusively on it for like a year or two, but I've there's been a pretty long chunk where I've had to focus on other things than games in general. And uh, Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and so I guess... 
we all have similar backgrounds. It took me, I can't remember, maybe six months of insanely dedicated play to get through my first one all of Dodonpachi. But, and that was using save states and everything, like everything I could to try and get through it. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, what I'm getting at is when you pick up, when someone picks up Dark Souls or picks up some of these, you know, harder, more, I guess, mainstream style games, there's a lot of legacy skill involved that carries o- carries over, you know, from playing games through your life. But I think the problem with shmups is when you pick up a shmup for the first time in your life, it may be the first time you've ever played a game quite like it. And yeah, there's that time period where no matter how skilled you are, you're just going to get wrecked for a while. Yeah, and even stuff like Dark Souls has uh, tons of convenience features to make sure that uh, to uh, help you actually clear it because you're not you're never going to get a game over in Dark Souls. You're just going to go true. back to the last bonfire you t- you lit. Very true. I've played a lot of Ninja Gaiden as well. I think this would be a good point of comparison. We're talking about the modern one, right? Not the NES one. Yeah. Because uh I've cleared Ninja Gaiden 2 on Master Ninja mode, the highest difficulty. And I also played Shmups at that same time. And of the two, I would definitely say Shmups are still harder than, like, a a really difficult shmup, like DOJ or something, is still actually harder than something like Ninja Gaiden Master Ninja. Yeah, the, there's, there's always, the, there's there's always hack and slash stuff like God of War, the mate, that let, let, let you build up the fundamentals of the genre to help you through stuff like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta or Ninja Gaiden. There's not much like that for shmups. Really true. Yeah, the, at least not that would give you good representation. Although I'm not a big God of War fan, so yeah, I me want to be either. like, that's not going to give you a, <laughs> any basis for Devil May Cry. Yeah, and I was I was referring mainly to the stuff before the PlayStation Four game, because as far as I know, that's basically completely different. Right. Yeah, I've I've heard that. Even well, again, I guess I'm being partially a, a, just elitist in it, but. I feel like even the older God of Wars were very, yeah, they do give you the basis. Agree on that, but yeah, they have like a much more streamlined level of technical play than I think Ninja Gaiden and Devil May Cry non DMC, of course. Yeah. So when when you guys think about this article, what additions would you guys like to add to it, if you could? I guess, or what? What extra thoughts would you think would be helpful in kind of conveying the situation of getting new players from just, you know, playing the games casually to getting them maybe a little more interested in playing for score? Well, for me, I think one emphasizing the, the di- you know, that it's, it's a difficult road either way. You're facing a challenge. And I agree with the last thing you said, even while I think those ga- other games are the closest parallel. I still personally think that true shoot 'em up is the most directly challenging game and it's even for the casual person just looking at one being played that kind that'll usually back that claim up because you always get like, Whoa, like who are you? I couldn't even tell who I am if I was playing and always things like that. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean being realistic about it and I think still encouraging working towards clearing, because I think if someone is motivated enough to do that, then that 
there's a strong chance that they have the motivation to try and play it for score because again that's while maybe and yeah and also in regard to the article which kind of as a change the paralleling with other games i think doesn't do us do that any service doesn't credit that element of the argument it kind of downplays it almost to a sense even though it is aimed at a more serious party perhaps but if it were for an, for a new player perspective seeing that would kind of just it's almost even just like on uh the difficulty ratings like Danmaku and limited three like saying normal mode this is great for beginners but that's it's not actually great for beginners it's hard if a beginner just played it they would <laughs> yeah. die infinitely <laughs> yeah even even novice yeah. modes and games like crimson clover will still kick your arse and uh light it on fire <laughs> if you if they've given a chance and most newbies are not skilled enough to know how to get through stuff like that yeah that's funny you mentioned that because last night i was playing sdoj and it has i don't know have you guys played that one no i don't I've, have a japanese 360 i've looked them all up a little bit but yeah i've not personally played yeah so i was just mentioning that because uh sure you mentioned how some novice modes kick your ass still so the base level of that game is insanely difficult like caves just basically throwing the kitchen sink at you and so they do have a novice mode in that game and i truly believe they should not call it novice mode they should call it toned down <laughs> mode because it is not for novices it will beat your ass hard <laughs> like it's harder than the base difficulty of a lot of shmups it's novice mode so yeah, I definitely feel like sometimes we could choose better names for the modes we give some of these games. I, yeah, I, I, I really agree <laughs> on that point, actually. I feel like that is a problem in a lot of them, truthfully. Even Raiden series, I, I don't, maybe not five, but three and four both are like, if you play games, this is the mode you should be playing. And then it's, but that's like arcade mode, and it's very difficult overall, you know what I mean? and yeah even the easy mode i don't know they they basically they word it in the sense that if you're really bad at the game then play easy mode as opposed to <laughs> yeah you know yeah exactly it feels you feel like a piece of crap dude, when you're yeah, playing like, the I'm, mode. like, like I'm, dude, sitting there... I'm dying in Danmaku unlimited three normal mode yet this is great for beginners like come on man are you <laughs> yeah. you're insulting me no one wants to play on babby shitter mode Right, exactly. Yeah, like even even though I know that novice mode in SDOJ is actually pretty difficult, I still feel like yeah, like crappy for playing oh, it. And so I'll yeah, I'll get halfway through it and I'm like, why am I even playing this? I'll go back and play the regular mode and get my ass kicked in that one instead. Yeah, it's weird. I I like can't do it unless it's you know, there's some unlockable that that's actually why I got the one credit on easy mode actually by chance in that other game because you had to get do it to get one of the other ships but mm. outside of that it's just yeah i don't know i just cannot bring myself to do it i feel like no matter how hard the game is i'm i'm terrible if i'm picking an easier game or an easier mode yeah yeah i agree and i've been thinking about ways maybe shmups could make this a little better i think dan 3 is a good example where it has the graze mode and the 
spirit mode, right? And spirit mode's basically the easier mode. But when you're playing the game, the game doesn't say, hey, this is the easier mode, play this one. It kind of just defaults you there. Yeah. But but there's some shmups that have, like, super easy mode, or, like, ridiculously easy mode, or monkey mode. And you feel like a total noob trying to try those modes. They will still murder you anyway because you don't have the fundamentals. Right, exactly. Yeah, some are more uh, creative or colorful with their uh, difficulty setting levels. But, oh yeah, Dunmok Unlimited 3. Um, I feel like they do say, like with Gray's mode, like this is for your serious player or whatever. Something to right on that mode though and but even even me like i remember playing <clears throat> i eventually like was able to settle m- my mind into align myself to play spirit mode but like i felt like i should be playing grace mode you know because it's yeah it must be the real game like i always want to play the game the real way if you will and right. i know what you're saying there. like yeah if i if i don't feel like i'm doing that then it's yeah, they yeah, can I, do it. Yeah, I think I'm kind of an outlier on that because uh, I had deliberately decided to pick a easy mode for Stella Vanity because even though that's supposedly equivalent to like medium difficulty in a Toho game or whatever, it's basically the only thing I know I'm going to be able to reasonably clear with my skill level. Yeah, and I think like with me with SDOJ, maybe I'll maybe I'll play the novice mode a little more you know, get past my pride a little bit. But yeah, I think it's actually healthier for newer players to kind of recognize the the level they're at so that they can work on their fundamentals and stuff with a little less frustration, a little less getting destroyed over and over. Yeah, or if you're going to get destroyed over and over, at least let it be clear on that and not kind of misrepresent itself. <laughs> right, yeah. on the shmup form mm-hmm. just there's just a lot of inactivity with our scoreboards and so i think what he was getting at there was like there are a lot of people will kind of work towards getting clears and stuff too but i think maybe maybe what he could have added is even if you're playing for score or playing for survival might as well check out the scoreboards and see if maybe you can post your scores up there 
just get a little more activity on those scoreboards. Yeah, it seems like a, it seems that a lot of people are just uh, too scared to put their scores up, even even if they're not good enough to clear the 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 boards will still accept high scores and such. It's just that there seems to be this perception that oh, you have to clear a game before you can post a score or whatever. When that's not really the yeah. case. Yeah, and I I definitely don't agree with that perception at all. Because the top players, of course, aren't going to be concerned about the lower scoring people putting up low scores. But I kind of view it as people doing that would be good for each other, right? Like if three people in the world are playing Don Mach Unlimited 3, and they're all just kind of learning the game, they're all kind of new to it, but one of them puts up a score that's kind of, you know, it's not like this insanely high score then other people will feel encouraged to do that too when they look at the board. They'll be like, okay, there's all these high scores, but look, this other guy put up this score, so I'll put up mine too. Rather than, like, I remember when I went to submit my first score to Dodonpachi, like, all the, my score was, like, low. And then I looked at the board, and all the other scores on there were, like, really high and impressive. I was like, I'm going to look like a complete idiot putting my score on here. So I didn't. Yeah, I mean. For a long time. And, like, the reaction, kind of some of the reactions to your when you were trying to approach them about working towards the cataloging of scores and whatnot, I feel like kind of backs that up or like, you know, who wants to just see mid-level people? But yeah, I agree. I think people are getting into it by all means. Yeah. I definitely have a lot to say about that. But what I will say, I guess, is that I think a lot of people who read that thread were had been around in the shmup community a long time and i think we're just thinking of it from their perspective not of the perspective of people who haven't been in the community a long time who are trying to get into it i i, I still wish i could have put my reply as a uh, person <laughs> who uh is a newer voice i mean well i was just really yeah i, I, I don't be somewhat reactionary and i just was like yeah i don't think i i'm not sure if i ever caught that thread yeah, it's a it's an older one. It's been around a little bit now. I think it was a few months ago I posted it, but basically what it was is I spent a bunch of time talking, uh, writing up ideas for how we could kind of improve our score system, oh, like how we could keep track of scores. And yeah, and I guess for fun, I'll give you a little background on after I posted that. I mean, for weeks, my phone would ring with like replies on the thread for like weeks. I'm like, oh. Maybe someone's saying something nice, and every time, like, 99% of the time, it's someone being like, you're a fucking idiot. Not, that's what they're saying, but they're, like, pissed off about my thread and how, I was like, damn. Like, it just went on and on and on. Yeah, like, making just, like, the shittiest, (laughs) like, I don't know, like, dumb analogies to try and, like, make you look dumb. And, yeah, it it really was, but it was, it was hypocrisy, I feel like, largely. Um, yeah. But yeah, and to yeah. add to the inactivity of scoreboard keeping, I guess I'm the best uh, refrain player in the Western world because I put my score up and I'm still the only one there. So, yeah, no, you're currently right. Number one, <laughs> number one, baby, exactly. And I think it gets hard too with smaller games like refrain because of that lack of inactivity. Yeah, and I think that's another thing McCormick was kind of getting at is that. With all this inactivity, inactivity breeds more inactivity. Like for yourself, let's say you put up your score and then 
I put up my score the next day and it was higher, but just a little bit, there'd probably be a little bit of an incentive for you to be like, no way, I'm going to try and improve my score, you know, and kind of have more engagement that way, rather than you post your one score and no one ever posts another score and then you just move on from the game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially if, yeah, you, if you don't know better, like, which is kind of why I, I, from the start of that was very much, you know, in favor of just moving past that because moving past them because it, I just didn't see the desire for people that actually wanted to improve and, and you know what I mean? Like that's what matters. Yeah. Ultimately. So I think we're ready to talk about the second article, which kind of goes hand in hand with this one. It's a little bit different, but you got to love the title. The name of the article is Shmups, the next dead video game genre. Uh... <laughs> I love the title, but let's hear what, what are your guys' thoughts before I go on about my thoughts? Just about the article. Yeah, I've probably got a, a fairly different perspective on what makes a video and what makes a genre dead than what this article is, but yeah, definitely. Let's hear about it. I feel like it's more that if people stop making games in that genre, then it's dead. I mean, yeah, there's there's super unpopular genres like say muds and text adventure games that are mentioned in the article, but I don't think they're quite dead yet. Are they still making games in those genres? Yeah, they are. But though, uh, you'll probably never hear about them because no, no self-respecting mainstream media would pick up on it. <laughs> or shmups, for that so matter. So what's a mud? What's a mud? Uh, those are multi-user dungeons. They're basically the predecessor to uh, MMOs. Oh, okay. So go on, go on what you're saying about shmups, though. I feel like uh, people are still making lots of shmups. Some of them have been released just as recently as this month. So, I And there's still new stuff going on in the genre, so I don't think it's anywhere near as dead as McCormo implies. I could see that. It's definitely interesting based on what you, like you said, what is a dead video game genre, right? I think that's a good topic. We could definitely talk about because I think that's part of the article for sure. As far as that goes, I can definitely comment on that. I think that it's definitely not dead in the sense of it's obviously still being made. It's going to exist in some capacity just through downloadable means alone because it's a low cost game that plenty of people can make. But I think it doesn't have to be dead, but it's not more not respected is perhaps like where I feel like it is still in the broader eye, which is what matters or, or not considered to be a real game in the sense, like people mm-hmm. don't want to yeah. pay full price or they view it as a, you know, it's viewed as something to like, Oh, a time filler or a people don't a quarter munch or, or, Something that should be on phones instead of PCs and such. Uh, yeah, to me, that's the biggest problem. Like People don't look at them and give them the same amount of thought or even think, I mean, you constantly, oh, I mean, a game I'm going to be done with in three hours. And like, all right, you clearly are not playing this game the right way if you're going to be done within three hours. Definitely. Yeah, I think this article is... 
I what I like about McCormell's writing is I think, and I talked to him about this too, is the way he writes, he isn't trying to write like to communicate very diplomatically. I think what he wants to do is to try and write kind of pro- provocatively. He wants to incite some kind of response from you, whether it's mad or glad or whatever it is. I think that's why I like his articles is because he's trying to incite some some kind of response, even if it's a, you don't like what he's saying. He wants to kind of get you thinking about these topics, even if you're mad at him while you're doing it. So I think that's the thing he's going for. That's Yeah, for me, that that's that's certainly present. Like, and I think I mean, it, and that's why he made, you know, even going back to the first article, the statement about like beating games, he's, he's trying to inspire slash challenge good players and basically say, you know, you haven't reached any mountaintop yet. You know what I mean? Because you're not. And, and I agree mm-hmm. in that arena. Absolutely. I think that's the right perspective and approach and how I would feel. I just think that, I don't know. I feel like some of it is about like immediately, isn't there an element of about even with a new player, immediately bringing them into that world and mm-hmm. letting them know yeah. about that though? Yes. Yeah, which I do think is important, but you could you can perceive it as kind of sort of like someone that was really good at a fighting game. Just yeah, nice. Uh, just let me let me throw you six times in a row. Yeah, great. You you know you're you're trash. You know, kind of like approach almost if you didn't know better if you were a new player. Like you have your friend and you're getting him into fighting games, and then the week after he learns fighting games, you take him to a tournament. Yeah. That could have polarizing effects. It could either actually really inspire them to play because they go and see everyone playing there and they're like, holy shit, this is really cool. Or it could completely demoralize them and they'll never play again. It could one or the other. You don't know which. That's an issue. Like there's enough of a risk of that even from you doing it to your friend when (laughs) trying to learn, let alone. Definitely. But yeah, and I mean, I'm kind of like I've been really my closest friend that also, you know, I play video and he's on discord. He's been my, like someone I've tried to play more and more third strike with and always advocated arcade stick and he picked up a stick and like now he owns a few shmups. So like, I think we're totally at different levels of skill, even though we both obviously have far ways to go in either way. I suppose when we play, it's really easy for, I mean, I feel the same way, like for him to think that he's just terrible at either game, be it a shoot 'em up or a fighting game, just because he can't do something that I'm doing or is thought to be common. But, you know, it's it's important to overstate and emphasize that it's going to take you countless times to be able to do that on a regular basis. And it's not yeah. like... Trust me, like for as long as I've, I always state this, and I think this is true. Like, I've been playing way longer than you have, and the amount of improvement I've made is far less than you have. And, you know, that amount of time, like, I should be better than I am, and things of that nature, basically. Right. You're trying to ease them in. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting the different approaches you can take depending on someone's personality. Like I have certain friends where I know you ha- I have to use the ease in method with them. There's no way I could just take them to a tournament or 
sit them down in front of a like a really hard shmup and be like, clear this bitch. You know, <laughs> I couldn't do that. <laughs> but my personality, when I went to my first tournament, I just went by myself and I got spanked. I got rocked. And not only did I get rocked, I got like the total fighting game treatment of people being like, yeah, this dude's just a noob. He's a scrub, whatever kind of thing. Like, I was so pissed off that I went home and basically grinded the game for months and then came back and tried to beat their asses. Like, that was my personality. But I was just one of those people who's like that. And I know there's people who went to that same tournament, local tournament, got their asses beat, got made fun of, never played a fighting game again. That was it for them. Yeah, the rage quit is real. Yeah. Thankfully for me, well, both, I'm similar in that sense, definitely, like, where just pride alone will keep me at something, whether it's smarter decision or not, and I don't right, mean to yes. misrepresent him either. He actually, that's actually why I have a lot of confidence in him being able to succeed in both of these games, because he's super competitive. Someone that has that kind of attitude is going to be a lot I think easier and more perceptive to putting time and learning systems of a game like that than a very casual game fan, I guess. So speaking of the article, uh, specifically the title, the next dead video game genre, I guess wanted to hear, we heard Shory's thoughts on what makes a genre dead. What do you think makes a genre dead, Dingo? I think, I mean, for a genre to be, essentially dead because yeah I'm, I'm sure there's always something there it's hard to really quantify what a dead genre would be i mean i, I guess it, outside of like game and watch or something like that but <laughs> i feel like shmups are almost as niche as any at least publicly known game genre like something that you don't need to be deep in the internet to even have heard of to the average person you could view that as as dead in the sense that they're not they're not you know you don't find them in stores commonly you're not going to ever see a commercial or i'd be shocked go ahead Troy. and you're definitely not going to find them on steam unless you're already interested in the genre in which case they'll probably show you whatever the latest uh, kind of crap game is rather than uh the ones that are actually accepted as good games by the community. Yeah. Yeah, it, it can go definitely either way on that. It, that's both helped me and had led me to buying plenty of mediocre games, but I still, <laughs> I still idea. do like that though, because it, at least it shows you more, I suppose. Definitely stumbled on. Yeah, it's the least a, trying that's enough true. good ones. Like, yeah, like Don Maku, I'd never seen that. In my, even Crimson Clover just looked cool to me. And, uh, but yeah, it also, there's just so many out there and there are so many cheap ones that you're going to get a mixed bag for sure. I have mainly learned about Crimson Clover through, uh, videos that were made by Slow Beef and Total Biscuit and, uh, Super Bunny Hop, but most of those guys don't really do shmups in general, so. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that would be nice to have more coverage from YouTubers and stuff like that. Like if some popular YouTuber reviewed Ketsui when it came out, you know, like Dreamcast guy plays Ketsui or something like that. That could really help. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, I think uh, Jamer's most successful videos were 
far and away the videos where he no hit some uh, Undertale bosses. Yeah, two mil. Yeah, no, that has two million wow. views. And none of his other videos got anywhere near that level of views. Yeah. So for me, I've been thinking about this a lot because it's the kind of arbitrary definition that I like to spend a lot of time thinking about. And so I've thought about what makes a video game genre dead quite a bit. And I think there's there's different, I guess, ways you could look at it, right? There's the absolute way where literally none of the games are being made or played anymore. Or there's the kind of way I think about it, which is kind of like with fighting games. A game is dead when it is no longer actively played or no longer actively produced substantially, right? So with shmups, I think shmups are really in an interesting place where they're not dead, but maybe they're not fully alive either. They're somewhere, they're undead. Zombies. They're kind of zombie, a zombie genre, they're right? Walk- at least daywalkers, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think that is kind of the middle ground where they are, because for every success, I feel like, I think they seem bigger, like bigger wins to us being big fans, but it's 9 out of 10 at most people that you run into are going to look at a game like that and still just be like, whoa, I, I'm i not putting my hands on that. Yeah, and even the uh, celebrated games like Crimson Clover and Zero Ranger and Devil Engine will probably won't even make a blip on the radar of mainstream media and such, so... I know. Yeah, or even I'm worried about the M2 Ketsui port. I'm very worried about that thing. Is this game going to just flop? Because I kind of feel like if this game flops, that's it. M2's not doing anymore. I don't know if that's true, but part of me just wonders. I'm going to be blunt here and say that uh, at least uh, in the U.S. it's probably dead on arrival because because neither M2 isn't actually that very well known as a publisher or a developer. They're mainly mm-hmm. they're yeah they're mainly known for ports, but often uh, people just don't really do ports in general. They're almost always going to sell less than the original release, which never even made it outside of Japan. And I don't know if Ketsui or any of the other Shot Triggers games are gonna leave Japan either. Right. Oh yeah. As far as a retail release, you mean yeah? I mean I could see that that would I think would be problematic probably. I think, because I actually didn't even realize that was the case until recently that it was a Japanese version. Um, so hopefully, yeah, they'll follow like what they did with Battle Greg and put out an English version. Mm-hmm. Just because, yeah, if you're if you're not making something available, then it's hard to for anybody to get it. Like I think I've only found one trailer for the Ketsui PS4. Yeah, in my research. I kind of feel the same way about like Rolling Gunner too, because I look at the YouTube page and it's like, all right, there's like 27 subscribers, and each video has like 12 likes. So, right. Yeah, like this game is so impressive. Yet, how's anybody going to know? Especially, I mean, they took a pretty unique approach. Granted, but still, yeah. I don't think a unique approach to gameplay is really going to work with, when it comes to getting shmups uh, more popular. What needs to happen is more big developers, more big publishers need to pick up shmups because uh, 
Jamestown was kind of an outlier because it was released shortly after Minecraft, and that time indies were big and anything good would get a ton of attention. But now yeah. indies are a dime a dozen, and uh, basically everything is going to fly right under the radar unless a big publisher like, say, Devolver Digital shows up and uh, funds a game that'll really knock the socks off people. Yeah, I mean, I was, just to clarify, like, referring to the the release method as far as, like, Rolling Gunner. I mean, granted, I do think the game has some cool, unique mechanics as well, but for a game that seems to be pretty anticipated in certain circles, at least among serious fans, the way it's released is pretty limited and old school, definitely. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought, uh, Shori, you brought up kind of the changing landscape with the indie games for sure, right? Because imagine Undertale's a really good uh, example of like an indie game that exploded, right? That's just huge. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you guys played Zero Ranger, but I even talked to the devs about this. Just imagine a world where, you know, Undertale comes out and then Zero Ranger comes out when Undertale Fever is like at its top most. I could see that getting a lot of attention. Whereas to now, it's been a while and probably people have moved on in a lot of ways. Yeah. No, I think that would be great. I, I've only played the demo that they put out, which I think is two to three stages. I mean, it's. I actually was having a little bit of trouble with it. I think I was dying on stage two quite a bit, but I didn't put a ton of time into it. But it does seem really great. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, Even just, yeah, having something get enough buzz to where it's at least like yeah on the front pages for a few weeks or something would be nice to see. Yeah, and I agree with Shori, because imagine if Nintendo released a shmup. Like, Nintendo made a shmup, Star Fox the shmup, and released or it. Or Kirby the shmup, because there's a ton of Kirby games with shmup segments in them for some reason. <laughs> yeah. That that would print like, money and would probably instantly get people interested in shmups again. Right, or even like Metroid the shmup. Just some kind of big IP that's a shmup that comes out. Imagine the... That would be actually really great. I mean, I would fly yeah. that ship around. Yeah, and then, You know they make it a twin stick. Another person who I think would immediately get attention if they decided to make a shmup would be Yoko Taro, because He's been pretty blatant about being inspired by shmups for stuff like Nier and Nier Automata. Yes. And he recently picked up a copy of Hellsinker. And if he made a shmup, people would take note, even if it doesn't sell well. The RPG kids would, would play it. Yeah, no, I mean, and as a person that actually really likes the game, as, and I mean, it even has, you know, aside from the third person gameplay, you know, where you're dodging a bunch of bullets like the intro is actually like a pretty solid shmup like it plays kind of like an astrobrew yeah or ether vapor kind of and one of the earlier previews actually said it was his the closest he could get to allowing square enix to let him make a shoot him up so he went with that and as 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 uh you know to get at least close that's interesting, though, that you mentioned that he basically had to come up with something to allow Square Enix to even let him make a shmup. You must imagine what the boardroom would look like if he walked in and said, 
yo, we're making a shmup. They'd be like, no. hell no. Even Unator <laughs> like Yoko Taro doesn't have that much clout with shareholders and investors and board of trustees and such. I, I do think that, yeah, I've, I've mentioned sometimes in the past, I think getting the genre just popular enough to where even just once every year or two, you can have a big publisher take a chance on one would be huge. Like just having, you know, I, I always say triple A, but just one that, yeah, you can, you can tell it has a big budget looks great. Or even like single A. Yeah. You only, only one A would be good. Yeah. Cause at this point it's looking like Indies might be one argument you could say where, you know, McCormo is onto something here with, it looks like year by year, the, the larger studios being inter- even like not large, but even somewhat large studios are losing their interest in shmups. I mean, Cave's pretty much gone. Yeah, other than Gothic Wamaho Otome, which is somehow probably the most successful shmup this side of Jamestown because they've gotten like 4 million downloads or something in Japan alone. Wow. Is that that's mobile, right? Or no? Yep. It's a mobile yeah. gacha game. With the shoot 'em ups, but it's still a gotcha game, and most of the community is probably going to reject it on principle because of that. Yeah. And you know, then there's AK to Blue, however you pronounce it, where it's mobile only as well. I think people, I think mobile players would reject that in general because it's not free to play. Oh, yeah, true. See, I think, like, I think certain games, if they got more marketing and highlighting i know some people like reject them like the idle weiss games either astrobreed or even the one before that it's at their vapor i've actually been playing around with the demo quite a bit lately and i think that the dynamic camera shifting and things like that are really interesting and that could go a long way if actually put out in front of people and they could you know knew that it existed because it's really impressive i think a lot of stuff they pull off in those games and it's cinematic enough to where I think it it could at least draw in a certain group of people but it seems like a lot of traditional shmup players don't love those yeah or even something as simple as the Ketsui release here like to most of the people in the world what is Ketsui right that's a new game to them they have no idea about its origins or its ports in the past and so any shmup in general really because I think even the Big names like Gradius and R-Type and Darius have been all forgotten. They're True, slowly yeah. losing their name value, yeah. I mean, Darius definitely is uh, hard. You can... Oh. But I still feel like I always have to remind, like, people remember, but it's like, you know, the one game, you know, that like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, I remember, I got I've not <laughs> yeah, had that right. luck because, like I've said, even Space Invaders has been confused for a first-person shooter by people I've talked to, so... Yeah. So did you guys have some more thoughts about the second article about shmups possibly being the next dead video game genre? Uh, I'm kind of running out of time and I need to go. No problem, man. That's fine. Okay, guess I'll see you guys later. Peace, have a good one. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's fine. Because we're, we're wrapping up near the end here. I'm glad you guys signed up for the episode because... Otherwise, it would have been yours truly and probably wouldn't have happened, so. <laughs> no, yeah, thanks. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, yeah, hopefully there wasn't too much dead air there.
Well, the funny thing is, is dead air is actually the easiest thing to edit. You just delete. You can see it and delete it. The hard thing is actually when I go on on a topic for like 30 minutes and then realize wasn't related to the episode and I have to go in and cut out chunks here and there and try and make it work. That's the hard part, but dead air and stuff like that's actually really easy to edit. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny.